0: If I start
1: three people, there'll be And when I get nervous, I walk, and usually I speak too quickly. So if you don't understand anything, just keep to yourself and pretend you did. I'd be very, very careful. I you mean, talk to you about
2: that because the person who wrote that is dangerous.
3: Kind of dark and mysterious in that photo. Perfect. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, I I have begun recording. Right. Finally, I think we have f- 4 hours of conversation that is not recorded. <laughs> I think but, you're right. I think uh, you're right. But finally we just uh it started getting good enough that it had to ha- it just we had to get over here. Yeah, we were kind of getting into the deep stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which, you know, maybe that means we do, do away with an hour of of uh warm, you know, official warm up because because we've, we've already done it. Um <sighs> Uh, are a long time coming. Um, I, I'll just say, I'll say decades, you know, before <laughs> podcasts were a thing. Yeah. This conversation probably needed to happen. Uh, so on the road and, uh, well, we're at the end of the road, actually we're beyond the end of the road. The road is closed down there. We have
3: arrived at, um, what do we, what do you we, do we call it? I mean, I don't know if I want to call it the end of the road. Maybe it's the beginning of some roads as well. Perfect. You know? Yeah. I mean, and it's not the end of the road in the summer.
1: No. It's just that, you know, wintertime, you can't get from, I'll just, you can't get from Cook City to anywhere northeast of
3: here. We're not driving out of here, Mark. No. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Thank you for picking me up in the ski at yeah, the, uh, yeah. t- down in town.
3: We need tracks to get out of here.
1: Yeah. And uh, Okay, we'll just We'll do the introduction Um, Goose is here
3: Fully passed out
1: Fully passed out after a hard day of frisbee and snow And um, Aaron Mulkey Who I don't know I'll just say that as a climber When I first saw that you had showed up in Cody I was like Who's this upstart? (laughs) And then realize like, oh, he's someone who is, has been affected enough. Let's just say by the, by the zone, by the South Fork of the Shoshone uh, and all of the ice and the possibilities there that like made the commitment to actually move there. Yeah. Um, Because most of the other protagonists, (laughs) I mean, at that time, so 97,
3: did you, when did you move? Yeah, it was like 97. It would have been my, I believe I was entering the third year of my ice climbing career. And I would have been, I believe, I would have been like 22, something like that. Maybe 21.
1: And you left the hotbed of Boulder, Colorado. Boulder, Colorado. To, yeah.
3: To... Yeah. Yeah. Let me just, I can say that my, yeah, my buddies were like, you're going where? You're going. Why, you know, and, uh, obviously the social scene in Boulder, Colorado at that time was probably a little bit better than Cody. Okay. Uh, and I, I would guess
1: a, that that is actually still true
3: today, <laughs> <laughs> D- depending, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, I think you're, I think you're right on that one. Yeah. Uh, I don't even think there's even, uh, uh, it, they don't even come close yeah yeah
1: but the and, and so to move to cody which essentially um i mean it's in in the winter it is also the end of a road um if you were trying to go to the east entrance of yellowstone or something like that um it, th- that uh up until say 97 um i mean i can confirm with some certainty that the first frozen waterfall climb in the south Fork happened in 1983 <laughs> I, I think maybe i mean maybe okay okay because because we don't know what happened before and we were young i think and we're pretty to-
3: safe in and, and thinking that, that that was probably the first time yeah i'm feeling yeah
1: feeling it um but even by 97 most of the most of the development had happened um sort of on the on the shoulders of guys who lived there yeah i mean todd and kurt and monty Yep. And then I don't, and there was honestly, at least in the summertime, there was a cat early in, in the eighties. Mark DeForno was around, but I don't know if oh really he got involved in the, in the ice climbing later or not. But yeah, um, those yeah, are the names that I, re, you know, sort of remember from back then. And I was thinking like by 80, 97, I mean, Alex had been and put a bunch of roots or a couple. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, I mean, it, it, the, the gathering had happened, had happened, had had, had happened a few couple of times, I guess. Yeah. yeah which... Cause I
3: remember hearing about it. I think I was on a trip in 96 and somebody told me, I mean, it was 95. No, it would've been 96. I think somebody walked into the silver dollar bar <laughs> and there was this, you know, the lineup of the climbers, the the ice climbers and alpine climbers of, of their generation and of the time were lined up at the silver dollar bar in Cody, Wyoming, and they were just like the, I and I believe I can't I wish I could remember who even told me the story, but they said they walked out the other door. They were so intimidated. They just walked out the door. That's you know, but they were just like it was like a dream they said they had walked into and they were just like, I I yeah, I just walked out <laughs>
1: That's that's pretty
3: fucking wild i, I like, mean but I legitimate like right i mean it was you it was steve house i mean yeah you know, i mean there's a, a laundry list of the guys alex i mean conrad i mean they i mean and i can't remember if tackle made an appearance at one of the gatherings
1: um or not i mean there there were i feel like barry came down for one of them for some reason why would you leave the canadian rockies to go to cody <laughs> Because you want to have warmer temperatures. Well, yeah, and your (laughs) friends are there. (laughs) That's true, yes. Um, And it is, I mean, if we talk about, you know, it's like, I would say in the, I mean, it's the greatest quantity of big, difficult ice routes in the lower 48. I mean, probably to include Alaska, because Valdez isn't that great.
3: Yeah. And I mean, it's the concentration too, right? Like it's, it's pretty highly concentrated in the South Fork, especially on, and 97 was like, I mean, that was kind of the the golden year um, of when things were were quite incredible. But even the, you know, those mid nineties, just in terms of conditions, they were incredible. You know, Um, there was ice everywhere. And back then you guys were literally having the gathering and ticking off new routes every single day.
1: the the ones you didn't really have to hike for yeah (laughs) which we should we should pin that and come back to Mm. it just because it's um because i think that there's yeah there's something there that needs sort of more more depth and um and i kind of want to get i i we'll just go back i mean you've been climbing for well let's just say so if it's your third year ice climbing you started climbing in ninety five, ninety four, something like that. Yeah. Ice climbing. Mm-hmm. Never been too much into rock climbing. Always balanced the ice season with the kayaking kayaking season. And um which is wild in and of itself and we we already we covered kayaking already pretty heavily uh <laughs> over dinner. <laughs> just because It's fucking crazy (laughs) Um, And then uh, Did you know uh, A couple of trips to the big ranges
3: Yeah not many I mean Alaska really wants To do Colton Leach for And literally I think we were on the glacier For I think we spent less than 10 hours On the glacier And climbed Colton Leach Because I think we arrived back in our tent at like 4am And then we're picked up in an airplane at like 10am so it was very like it was very small time. I remember the guys on the glacier were like, they had any you know, they saw us land, they saw us then take Go. off, yeah. yeah, and they were just like, uh, what? Um, I mean, it, yeah, it
1: is like the ultimate car camping alpine face. Totally, so like land on the t- you know the the top of the Toca and have the west face of Huntington mm-hmm. there, yeah, like right there,
3: yeah. <laughs> Yeah So close Which
1: uh, Obviously makes it Quite attractive And you can And also It's still the Alaska range You can still get In some serious Um I'll just say trouble Cause Yeah I think that's <laughs> fair And accurate
3: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> For my limited time in there I think that's what I could uh, You know and I mean that's where
1: Uh Steve Mascioli and Mike Dimitri You know Confronted a grizzly In their tent Really Yeah holy crap yeah that it came up the fucking doko sitting in the icefall no somehow way. in the spring yeah there's i think if you, i mean if you if there was a Google... i mean if there was such a thing as google and you could look it up there'll be some reference even though it was i mean it wasn't totally pre-internet but um pretty sure that that incident was it was described in the alpine journal and um and and Dimitri could you know certainly uh correct me if i'm wrong um but there was you know like their food and their stoves were in the tent and the bear was in the tent and they had to get the bear and they'd come back from climbing or trying to climb uh you know ice tools end of a long fucking day you got to get your stove to melt snow to get water or you're gonna fucking die and so i had to get the bear out of the tent and uh, uh apparently you know after the fact one could say great hilarity ensued um but they I don't think the tent really came through intact, but both of them lived wow. and were able to scare that bear off Damn. down the glacier. But yeah. if you think like the Colton Leach route, those guys didn't land up there. They came over from the West Fork of the Ruth.
3: Oh yeah.
1: Cause they had done the North buttress of the Rooster comb,
3: mm-hmm.
1: Um and finished that, then climbed up over the call, dropped into the West face of Huntington, climbed that route and then, Went back over to the West Fork, and then I and then one of them did the normal route on McKinley, and I think the other one, like, (laughs) fucking, they're hard. I mean, Black Nick Colton, those guys were hardcore. Yeah. Anyway, um, so this is you've had a long climbing career, a long kayaking career, throughout which you've you know held down a regular job. That's my secret though. I don't want to tell everybody
3: that. It, well, I I I know. I'm not going to say <laughs> what it is. It's cooler to to say that you're an athlete, you know, and that's how you make your living, but actually it's <gasps> it seems it, cooler. It,
1: I mean, it does it does kind of seem cooler like but do you live in a van? No. No. <laughs> like, no. I mean, some of the, one of the coolest guys I ever met in the Alps, I was up t- uh in the Fourche Bivouac by myself in the winter. And it just happened to be a weekend and I can't remember what I was going to go try and do. Um, and this guy shows up and we start talking, this French guy lived down in Clues, which is slightly down the Valley from Chamonix. And he was a dentist and he was, and he, I said, what are you going to do? And he's like, oh, I'm going to, you know, solo the, uh, frontier Ridge or something, something on Mont And I'm like, wait, you're a dentist. You have like a job. And he goes, yeah, and I had a wife and I got a couple of kids, but sometimes on the weekends I like to go soloing in the Alps. <laughs> <laughs> That's fucking so much cooler than anybody who was like a full on professional yeah. athlete to me that this guy was just up there charging yeah and and I think having a job and doing and especially with the considerable number of new routes that you have done um, I think it's I think it's way more impressive that you do have a 40 well, let's just you know a normal job yeah and 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 still make time for for training for and because a lot of these new routes that you've done are not easy
3: so some yeah. training is required it seems it i, I think along the lines it became my outlet okay i think it became how i how i balanced the stress of that that day job that i had to have I had to have that, that weekend or those two or three days to just like reset the head, not think about work, not think about whatever was going on. Like it was, you know, this for the same probably reason, somebody, you know, takes the pill or whatever, you know, takes that drug. It's just like to forget about like, that's what climbing was for me and that work life climbing, whatever balance. And I think it has also, I think in a way has allowed me to, to be good at, to pursue both of them at the level that I was felt challenged from a professional side, corporate, whatever, to the climbing side. Um, cause usually after, you know, a weekend of pursuing it, I'm like, I'm kind of ready kind of ready to, kinda to, ready for to come back. I'm and... kind of ready to come back. Yeah. And I feel recharged. Oh yeah, you know I went into the mountains for the for that two three days, and now I'm recharged. I'm ready to go back to work. I'm ready. To, I'm, let's go. Uh, and I kind of in a way in my mind, I, I'm also like, I need, I need the rest. I need to, I need to not be there anymore. You know, I'm exhausted mentally or whatever it might be
1: from the mount from yeah. being outside and doing like. Yeah. Okay, thank God it's Monday because <laughs> I don't I couldn't take another day of this right now. Yeah, yeah. I mean. I can see that.
3: Yeah. And I think especially as I was, as I, as I gotten older, I feel like I have really needed that, you know, like, I just like, okay, let's, let's get a reset, you know, like I'm, I'm ready three or four days. And I'm usually kind of like, okay, recharged, let's go back to it, you know, and, and go back to, to work at the same, yeah. you know, velocity. Um, so you're, but different.
1: As a climber, I'd say, okay, you're a lifer, but you're not a full timer. No, like, and mm-hmm. it seems, um, and having listened to uh, episode forty-five of the Enormocast on the drive down today, which <laughs> still blows me away, that Chris has been making podcasts since two thousand eleven. <laughs> I, I know, and uh, kudos, um, but to, to to recognize like the the and during that podcast you guys talked a lot more about kayaking you about climbing <laughs> which is because of the circumstances of that you know that that conversation uh i mean i could tell that chris he was just like he wanted to know more he like the, the wanted to know more about the psychology of kayaking hmm. um but you know for, it's at a trade show it's in a hotel room it's you know, part of the roadway chronicles, you know, as he called it. Um, And, uh, and so I didn't, I was, I was listening and Blair was listening. We were both like, God, you could feel it. You could feel it coming. And then it didn't quite happen, but it, but hearing you talking about, I mean, it's um, the, the, the switch back and forth from, let's say the, the, the kayak, you know, ice climbing season ends. And that's when the water starts moving Obviously yeah. the ice is melting, the snow is melting and, and drop into another different discipline that record, that has similar psychological requirements, but other, but physical demands, um, or, or I would say sort of psychophysical demands that are, that are also very different from climbing. And we talked about it a little bit about, about like, Hey, you know, you can, and we'll just use that example, um, of the you yeah, that first descent in the winds about like looking you know g- google scouting it which <laughs> okay that, that i had a little mushroom cloud happen in my head when i'm like wait you're gonna go do a first descent and the only sort of data that you have is google maps google. <laughs> or go- you know and like looking at contour lines but also then looking at like it's like any mountain range, you know, or any climber who's familiar with maps, you see contour lines getting closer together, you know what it means. Yeah. And I'm guessing, you know, in the, in the river descent thing, it's the same, but that be but that because the, 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 the river is sort of so demanding and, 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 and determining the circumstances and the quickness of the responses that you, you know, you were reacting to a very dynamic situation. Whereas in climbing, it's, you are the dynamic yeah component and but then you on the river you you know it's it, the water's moving the water's being influenced by the geography and then you are having to react and you know also be dynamic in an environment that's actually you know that's moving yeah. and that um that there's only there's a finite um neurological capacity to react in the way that's demanded by hardcore river descents. And, but then once, but once you're in it, you don't, um, I guess you don't get a choice about when to say take.
3: Yeah. There's no pause. Yeah. Yeah. There's no take. There's no pause. It's you got to figure out here I am. What do I do now? And it's gotta be very, 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 very quick reaction.
1: And if it's a first descent, you have imagined what's coming and and probably in some cases been pretty accurate in the prediction about what's going to happen, but obviously those aren't the cool stories. The cool stories are <laughs> the things of like, "I thought you said it was over <laughs> after yeah. this one thing and then yeah. and then there's more and and the universe is a beautiful thing in that way. Um, yeah, th- I mean I can that can, can smell the hubris totally. or the sense of relief and then just go, all right I'm going to give it. a I'm gonna give them a little more,
3: yeah, there's such a uh, ch- the i guess in a way like chance in kayaking is a much bigger price, and that when you're going down a river that hasn't been run before and there's that horizon line and you're just you you your hope. You're, you're kind of throwing it all. You're, you're,
1: you're, it's, you're all in. So you used the term horizon line uh, earlier in the conversation. And so I'm, I am surmising that you're, okay, in m- most of the situations, you're able to see a certain amount of the river and what's happening ahead of you. And if there is a horizon line on the water, it means there's something beyond this horizon line that you cannot see. Cannot see. Maybe hear. Yeah. yeah. Maybe you can hear some maybe you can change. Maybe can hear...
3: Yeah, definitely if it's a waterfall, you're going to hear, or you'll, or if it's a closed in, you're just going to hear, you're going to hear water, you know, it's going to be loud, but you have no idea what that actually means. You know, is it going in a pile of rocks? Is it what's happening? You just don't know. And and I think one of my most near death experiences in the kayaking world was on a first ascent and a Google scout. Uh, and the guy I had never kayaked with before actually. And he's like, Oh, I I checked this thing out in the wintertime. You know, I'd taken a look at it, which at that time, you know, I mean, come on, you see, seeing a dry river and then seeing a river running like, yeah, you kind of get a bit of an idea, but you really still have no clue. And I remember it was a group of four of us and we got to this spot where it was mandatory. You pretty much had to be, you had to run it. It was, that was the only choice. So so no way that they could say, hey, climber guy, take the, take the
1: throw rope and get us, you know, solo up some shit and get us out of here. Exactly.
3: But at this place we were at, we were able to say, screw this. Let's freaking hike out. Okay. And I remember yelling up at the other two guys, the guy I was with that had kind of scouted. He said, you know, he's like, yeah, we're, this is going to be a blind, you know, but I think it's good. I think it's good. I looked at it a couple months ago. I think it's good. I'm like, are you hundred percent sure? And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's good. Now, mind you, this guy was, I think it's 21.
1: Doesn't sound a hundred percent. Yeah, No, it doesn't.
3: He was 21 <laughs> years old. I think I would have been probably 30, 31, really feeling pretty good in my kayaking game. And the other two you've guys, have been paddling
1: for a long time. Yeah. I've been point.
3: paddling for since I've been paddling for probably 10 years at that point. Okay. And, uh, I yelled up at the other two guys and said, like, guys, it's, it's going to be a blind. You have to run it. No scout. And those guys looked over at me and they're like, yeah, we're out. We're hiking. And I'm like, really? And they're like, yeah, we're out of here. And I looked down at my other at the other guy and I'm like, are you 100% sure this thing's good? If you're 100%, I'll go. I'll drop in with you. And he's like, yeah, 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 I, 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 I'm good. I was like, okay, I'll follow you in. And so the other two guys hike out. We get in our boats, paddle over this horizon line. there's an and. He grabs his headie and he's like, All I remember him telling me before we got in, he's like, Should be like a five, eight foot booth into this pool. And then that pool drops into like a 20 foot slide waterfall. I was like, Okay, I can handle that. That's fine. Drop into the booth. He had that correct. And he's in the eddy. There was no room for two of us. So then I keep rolling and I roll over this waterfall or this slide that as I go over it, I'm like, oh, this is a waterfall. And I start to tuck. And then as I tuck, I look ahead of me and I'm like, oh, this waterfall goes into a wall. And as soon as I hit the wall, I kind of pull up and I can see that the water was going mostly into this hole. So it was like, if you can imagine a waterfall going off and hitting a flat wall and most of the water going into basically... You know kind of a dome on the right and it's just circling it's just circling and then the water some of that water exiting or underneath the waterfalls exiting off the left and i hit that boom upside down and trying to roll trying to roll and i can i'm, I'm under this overhang and i'm like i can't i can't I, i'm not able to roll i'm in this overhang so I just so like a rock overhang that's yeah, preventing you from surfacing from surfacing i can't roll okay. because my the rock is coming up over the water as a dome yeah and my kayak is not not able to tip back over okay so i pull it sounds grim first time i've i've, I've swam swam and it, since i was a beginner really i was kind of very prideful you just don't <laughs> swim right i mean the rule in kayaking you swim it's game over you're susceptible whatever the water is your control yeah. is gone the control is gone And, uh, I grab onto my kayak and right as I grab onto my kayak, the buddy I was with comes rolling in. He's upside down and I was able to pull him over and help him get over. And so he's now upright and this waterfall is pounding right into us. And we're in this small little pocket and it's churning. I keep going under and I come back up and, uh, I lose, I lose my hand on him and I get sucked back down underneath this wall. And I crawl back up and I suck back down. I get crawled back up and finally I get a hold of his kayak, and I'm like, man, I'm, I, I can't. I'm I'm, I'm not going to be able to survive this. Like, I, we got to figure it out. And he's like, all right. He's like, let's try to get you out of the water because he. There's no way in the world he's going to pull me out of this thing. Yeah. And so I was able to get up onto the wall using his kayak and get my feet out of the water. And I'm like, you know, like on this like you know, like five, nine crimp, five, nine, (laughs) whatever crimps stemmed out in this chimney kind of looking thing. And, uh, he's like, all right, I'm going to paddle out of this thing. See if I can get out of this thing, go back into the waterfall. So the only way for him to get out is go back into the waterfall and get pushed out the other side. Okay. And he does through that
1: that zone where some of that water was exiting out out of the,
3: it's the only way the, it's only place the water's exiting. So he goes into the waterfall and then pops out the other side and then i see him disappear over the next drop which is literally like right over this waterfall and then he's gone and, then I, and as, as soon as he's gone i'm kind of like <laughs> looking around and i'm thinking like i look looking over my head i'm like i'm in a dome how is he gonna ever get a rope to me he's never gonna get a rope to me like i i, I like this is not going to, this is not good. And at this point, your kayak, you've let go of it. So I like has ki- gone. Kayak's gone. It's, re, paddle's it's recirculated. Gone. Paddles okay. recirculated. It's all now exited this room. It's gone. And I know if I go back into the water, I will not survive. There's no way. Yeah. Like I knew I was getting pulled under and that was the only thing that was kept me from that time was holding onto his kayak, which was, which was upright. Yeah. And I know if I go in, that's it it's going to be lights out. I will only be able to survive that for so long. And, uh, as I realized, I think I waited about 15, 20 minutes, 30 minutes had gone by. I realized was well, the first descent. He doesn't even know if he can get back to me. You know, like that was just a, like, yeah, it, may, it probably made sense maybe in the time. Like, Oh, let me get out of here and I'll save you. Yeah. You know? And then as I and realized then, the situation, there's shit, maybe
1: that, further down river that he also ha- exactly. ha- was different from when he scouted it dry <laughs>
3: exactly okay. like I and mean, there's no way he probably even remembered that and so i'm sitting there in this thing and i'm like okay the only way i see myself getting out of this is to figure out how to jump back into that waterfall and hope you that i can you get, get pushed out the other side and that's that's legitimately my only choice at this point because now i'm it's probably April. So it's pretty cold in the shade. It's, it's, you know, I can feel cold starting to set in, even though I'm in a dry suit, I can feel the cold starting to set in. And, uh, I was able to get as far out on these rock little crimps next to the waterfall as far as I could. And finally after about, it was probably, it was, I think it was pretty close to 30 minutes. I was like, I just, I got to do it man. I got to jump back in. Otherwise I'm just going to fall back in the water here like I better like yeah, I, I can said. I can do this with some intention mm-hmm. or
1: I can just get carried away. Yeah.
3: Okay. And so I finally finally commit. I'm like I just got to jump in. You just hope for the best. Hope you get pushed out the other side and you know, you love to tell another story. And uh I remember hucking myself back into that waterfall. And I, I, you know, it was almost like, as I did it, it was like a sort of commitment. Like, like, no, like the rock is here. I'm out of the water. And, uh, hit that water, went into the waterfall, resurfaced right against the wall. So the pressure of that waterfall is pushing against my back and I can feel myself on the bubble to go right or to go left. And I was able to get my feet up on the wall and push and push and push and finally pop off the left side, the left. And as soon as I'm out of it, you know, there's a sense of relief, but then immediately is another drop. So then I drop into another drop and go super deep, get kind of turned a couple of times, finally resurface and I resurface in this hallway. This hallway is probably a resurface. It's a probably about a hundred yard long hallway. And about probably four feet wide. And the water's just going to slowly move in. And I can't see what's, I can't see around that corner. And I'm like, okay. (laughs) Like, I don't know that I can go through this one again, but here we are. Like, and the walls are, you know, just pure granite rising straight out of this canyon. Polished polished granite like you're not you're not climbing anywhere yeah like you're just you're going down where, where the water's taking you there's no way out of this thing and uh, kind of just you know went down through those hundred yards and finally opens up into this next room and there's there's my buddy and he's sitting there on this pile of rocks and he's like thank god man he's like i didn't i, I couldn't get to you and i'm like yeah no no shit <laughs> like i figured that out like 30 minutes ago man yeah um, it just took me 29 minutes to yeah. like push off and he's like i thought I, I thought i was gonna be carrying your body out of here and i'm like yeah i thought you were too and thankfully there was this one chimney system um right before the next drop i was able to get out in that pool with him and then we were able to my boat everything was it was gone paddle was gone and uh, we were able to hike out and, and get out of there but uh yeah, that was one of my one of the times that I think I use one of those nine lives, which are probably I'm in the negatives on that one. But uh, yeah,
1: I, I'm just going to all I can say is like this is a nice segue into how cool climbing, how cool and safe <laughs> and manageable even the hardest climbing is. Holy fuck
3: yeah you know that and that's the crazy thing right because climbing doesn't really happen quite like that right like it's not it it, it it i feel like in the climbing yeah there's some things that happen very quickly right but normally it's kind of a slow introductory to that danger
1: and there's a bear and we t- talked briefly about it, or maybe it was on the I'm conflating now maybe it was in the podcast with chris that um you're talking about like uh, uh, okay and my first experience in a kayak, you know, I had a friend, uh, um, who like you can, you can get in trouble really quickly, um, in a, in, in the river, in a boat. And climbing, there is kind of a barrier to entry. It's like hard to climb your way into trouble. Like you have to be technically gifted enough to actually do the moves to get to the point where, I mean, yeah, you could fall off from, you know, seven feet up and hit your head and be done. But but generally, you know, there is this thing like, I really want to climb this, but I'm not good enough. So that kept me, you know, safely on the ground or put me back into you know, whatever training scenario I could imagine that where I could practice and eventually come back and get to the, you know, get good enough to do the thing. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's all, it's self-limiting in a way, whereas mm-hmm. kayaking doesn't seem like that. No, because I mean, we did could... fucking all, but it's also a, a, a sport I think that doesn't, um, that, that, that that's not as, easily visually or experientially accessible for most people. Like I would say kayaking is like a kind of a, uh, I don't want to say underground underwater or something, but it's not in the mainstream, especially not in the mainstream, the way climbing is today.
3: Yeah. If you can imagine climbing without top roping, like if you can, if you had to start climbing without ever a top rope, that's pretty much what kayaking is so like never never been able to follow you always had to lead that was the only way you were going to start climbing that's kind of kayaking is it you always have to lead or you always have to solo (laughs) or you yeah Yeah, you always have to solo in a way yeah you're right yeah (laughs) i mean because we could go to we could go find a 50-foot waterfall somewhere and put you in a kayak and you could i mean we could push you off i mean there's nothing to stop you from doing that your survival Uh, uh,
1: than my uh, very strong survival instinct (laughs) at this time yes
3: yeah (laughs) yeah we have to be able to actually get you in the kayak Mm -hmm. but if you're willing to get in that kayak you ever see do you ever try to put a cat
1: in a bathtub (laughs) that'd be me you try and get me in a kayak again (laughs) in my life i would
3: (laughs) i have such good visuals (laughs) all feet out to the side (laughs) No. no 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 not going i
1: would grow claws to keep from getting it i mean yeah and and i don't know in, in a comparative sense necessarily but um a lot of a lot of you know you get to the higher levels or even mid mid levels of both sports and a lot of people get killed doing it doing each of them yeah i feel like kayaking might be the more lethal in some way But that's also because of my unfamiliar, you know, I'm making a judgment based on unfamiliarity with it. And I I don't know. I mean, we've talked a little bit about mortality this afternoon and
3: I feel like they're pretty, I feel like they're pretty even. Okay. And I feel like it's also the same thing that gets people in climbing, gets them in kayaking. It's not in kayaking. It's not the big waterfall. It's not that big giant class five drop it's the easy stuff. It's where your guard is let up. And that I think, I feel like in climbing, that's also the same thing that gets you, you know, it's on that descent as we were talking about earlier, or it's the time you're not thinking about it. Like,
1: or it's the thing, I mean, and, and I'll just, th- th- there's a bunch of parallels here. And one of them that I didn't bring up earlier, um, you know, is like how you get hurt in the gym. It's like, it's 60% of your one rep max. It's, not hard enough to command respect yeah or it's not heavy enough to command respect but it's heavy enough to hurt you and i and then we talked about a a friend of yours that 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 uh died kayaking and it's you know like yeah it's it's so pedestrian the level you know the 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 technical difficulty of the river that he was in on that day um you know not hard enough not difficult enough or you're or you have gotten to the point of complacency because you've done it so much so result is the same not hard enough to command respect but hard enough you know or dangerous enough to kill you and i think climbing's the same way and then we can add the whole descent thing where you're just super fatigued <laughs> yeah um where you focused all of your energy on the ascent and you know never planned a, you know how to get down Or maybe you did, and you're just like, I will figure it out when we get there because we're going to be absolutely fresh. Mm -hmm. And one of those stories that you described, you know, about this river that, you know, hey, we're going to, we're committing to doing this in a day. And (laughs) you've got a finite amount of, like we said, you know, neurological capacity to deal with the dynamism of that sort of environment. And then you just get stupid.
3: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. the The body can and the mind can only stay sharp for so long, before it becomes fatigued, and then everything just starts to be diluted at that point. And I feel like in the climbing world, you can push that so much further, just because it's not happening so quickly. I mean, it, well, it, it takes longer. Yeah. Let's
1: say, like, I think, and I think um, we sort of figured this out over all these big single pushes. Of, I think you can make good decisions for about twenty four hours. I think around 36, you get real stupid. And at 48, you shouldn't be there anymore. Yeah. You know, but that is, that's, that's two days of, you know, being out there up against it, you know, Mm -hmm. risking performing, physically doing the thing, trying to manage your, you know, food and water intake to stay as sharp as you can possibly be. And I, and it seems in kayaking, it's maybe measured in hours rather like single digit hours, not double yeah. digit
3: hours. Yeah. 100%. I think because it, it is so much faster and there is no pause button, you know? I mean, yeah, I guess you can pull off on the side of the river and sit there, but if you're in the river and floating, it's kind of game on. Um, and I think your 24 hours is probably is, is dead on. Cause I think I, I remember listening to a podcast, a guy about sleep. And he said, I think at like 24 hours, you're almost considered legally drunk. After twenty four yeah. hours of no sleep, which is yeah, yeah, makes sense. <laughs> I mean, I don't
1: know. I'm I, uh, I can I guess I can climb pretty good drunk. <laughs> uh, I you know right before I black out, I you know yeah. I don't climb so good anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. There is a there is a line. There is a line where shit like and you're just like, why'd you drop that? Like, I, I don't know. Uh, you know or. There was a top, there's a point at the top, close to the top of the Slovak where, you know, we had joined the Cassine and we'd been moving for probably like, I I think we were close to 60 hours nonstop at that point. And, uh, um, and, and Steve started traversing off the Cassine to get to what appeared to be easier terrain. And I looked at Scott and I'm like, "I I can't, I fucking can't figure out why he's doing that. You know, I can't, there's no reason. And he goes, I can think of 60. Reasons why he's doing that right now and we're just like okay i guess we'll just follow like we're all gonna join we're just gonna all join in this whatever decision has been made um you know by the accumulated fatigue or you know the the, these laws of gravitational attraction that you know start to happen where you think it looks easier over there but maybe you're right maybe you're wrong i don't know yeah and I'm, i'm and i'm guessing you know there's i mean it it, on the you know on the river when you're paddling, it's like, don't look where you don't want to go, but then also the river gets a vote about you know you may have to go where you don't want to go, yeah, it may pull you there, I guess, yeah,
3: and I think you know the the weird crossover for me is kayaking for me. I always loved chasing that unknown, I loved the first ascent, I loved not knowing anything, and in the climbing world, it became the same thing, like if you had. You know, like the Slovak, like I've heard all the stories like, fuck, no, I don't want to go there. Yeah. I've heard all the bad stories. But for me mentally, for some reason in the climbing world, I always preferred going to something that nobody knew about or that it was a brand new thing because there was nothing. I couldn't build anything up psychologically. Yeah. You can't fear what you don't know. Yep. At least for me, that's how it was. And I know other people are the opposite. The unknown is what they fear is what they fear. Yeah. But for me, the unknown was I, what, what's to fear? You don't even know what's there. Like, but the, you know? and that's
1: an interesting thing right there. It's like, you know, the, the people who fear the, un, you know, I fear what I know. Well, that's because you have this delusion that what you know, you can control yeah like you and and okay you're afraid of the unknown because it's uncontrollable all of life is you know most of life is fucking uncontrollable so if you just get over that (laughs) then the unknown um kind of has less fear or something associated with it you know in a way Mm -hmm. and um and, and 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 plus i mean you think about um i mean if i just go back to the environment and you turn up in Cody, the classic, the visible classics, the easily accessible things. And when I say classics, I mean, they're just obvious and been climbed a bunch. Um, and the stuff that's, you know, one, two miles approaching. I mean, I'm, you know, I think I know that Todd, you know, foraged out a bit further in some of the drainages, but there was still so by the time 97 was around, (laughs) there's still so fucking much out there. Yeah. I mean, and even today, you know, you're, Pointing at stuff and talking about stuff, and I'm like, really
3: <laughs> there's <laughs> still this yeah, out there, it's still out there, and there's still so much, you I mean know. you told me
1: like some area you went into um uh, maybe you went into what there was like twenty eight new routes in three days or something. Yeah. Yeah. let's just not talk about where any of these places are and no <laughs> geotagging and fuck all, y'all. But, <laughs> but still, like, and, and and that would have been in an era. I mean, you know, one of the names. I'm like, yeah, she was for sure still climbing at a pretty good level, and she was relatively new on the scene. So I kind of understand that. That's, um, that's not that long ago.
3: No, no, and I think the thing about most the thing that I always struggled with too is like most people don't want to choose that unknown. I mean, if you're coming to Cody and back then I was always looking for partners, right? So like, Oh, are you going to show up in Cody for your two day weekend and go who knows where we're there.
1: Maybe, maybe, maybe find a dry hole, maybe find a, you know,
3: a crazy new route. We might just go hiking for two days for all I know. Hiking with a purpose though. Yeah. Hiking with a purpose. Exactly. (laughs) And you know, I, but for some reason i i i i wish i could figure out why that was always my my thing but
1: I, but maybe I, the, I, maybe the why doesn't matter
3: yeah but then i i think i've also lost out on the experiences of climbing some amazing freaking routes out there that because i knew so much or i knew the story behind it scared me away from it and cuz i mean if mark if you sat down with me and you said there's this absolute amazing route and here's what it is and here's this other place i don't know anything about this i'm going to choose that unknown every single freaking time yeah because for me mentally i can't build anything up against it i can't i can't i can't start descending you know if i'm not even there yet like i I, that unknown is just like i'm for some reason I'm built and my, my mentally I'm set up to be much more successful in that environment. Wide
1: open to possibility as opposed to having what may be possible dictated by previous experiences totally. and, and, and the legend and histories that goes with Absolutely. it. Absolutely. I mean, I, I, I would say, yeah, I, uh, by the time I started up the North Face of the Eiger with Krakauer in 84, <laughs> I was like, I wish I hadn't read all those fucking books about this thing because yeah, I exactly terrified. <laughs> and and, and, and th- that's going to affect how hard I'm willing, or how much risk I'm willing to take because everybody fucking died on this wall.
3: Yeah. <laughs> you know? And like, would that experience have been so much different had you not known any of that stuff and you just went up there with not knowing any history?
1: It, it would have, it would have absolutely been different. I can't say you know positive negative like let's let me get judgment make a judgment about how the what the difference was, but it would have been very, very different. Yeah. And I think we like oh, my pack is heavier because I know the history of this thing in a mm-hmm. way, whereas like if there's nothing here and I get to go create from a point of you know sort of absolute originality.
3: I can see the pack might be lighter, mm-hmm. you know,
1: or any of it.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And, and the pack is the pack. Are we talking the actual pack? Or are we thinking? Uh, the... you, know, well, there's this, <laughs> you know, there's the, there's the pack on your shoulders
1: and then there's the pack in your shoulders. Yes. Let's say, yes. Because I think a lot of the, you know, apprehension weighs more than, mm-hmm. you know, a rack of screws or, or whatever yeah i, I mean it, it's more effective apprehension is more effective at holding you back than the load on your back is in, in a way and so I, th- I i think like the the when there is no history when there's no like what do you you know the 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 guys you know the like first descent of the Iger, uh, north face of the Iger, thirty thirty eight. 38 how many people were 14 people had already died trying to make that first descent i think at that point like that's some serious weight to you know be carrying in not in your pack but in your head and then you're just like well my head is the heaviest thing on this fucking face right now and um because i'm confronting this you know this is a fucking monster that kills people so of course you're going to carry apprehension into that um that wouldn't be there you know the first guys that went up on it and tried it. You know, because yeah. it's just it's the the unknown. They don't know it's a monster yet. It hasn't shown its teeth yet. Until it starts eating people, it hasn't shown its teeth. Um, in, in in a way, but it's also not just the risk. It's 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 the legend. Yeah. Of these, you know, uh, and a lot of the the, the first descents in the South Fork. Like, I don't I don't know the stories necessarily of you know, the main vein or moratorium or high on boulder, or, you know, the pillar of pain or too cold to fire, you know, like any of these things. I, um, I I don't know how many times they got tried. I don't know if people, you know, at a certain point just walked up and did them or, you know, how any of that happened. So coming, when I came back at when I found out that it had become this kind of (laughs) Mecca, of ice climbing and came back for the first time. And I don't remember. It might've been 92, uh, with Scott and, um, and those things have been done, but I didn't know the, uh, the history of them. So it was like coming in fresh in a way. Yeah. And there were also things that like, Hey, we're really good fucking ice climbers. And I look at these things. and I'm like, these are doable. These are not, it's, it's not a, I mean they're fun they're hard I mean I remember yeah a couple of those things were fucking really hard I want to say that Scott and I went up on joy after pain one year it was it was terrible (laughs) (laughs) and I'm like where's the joy yeah here but in any case like arriving let's say in 97 and what with a more exploratory or creative not and let's just say creative creation is in, is in opposition with repetition at that point Mm -hmm. or as a way to describe it. Um, You just started, you know, what, you know, you just like, you're curious. Yeah. What's over, you know what, if there, if, if this, the terrain is the terrain is the terrain. Yeah. And the reason these waterfalls are here. Um, is is because of the terrain. The reason that they get climbed is because there's a fucking road. <laughs> the terrain exists beyond the road, beyond
3: the trails. So what's out there? Yeah, I wonder but, if also some of this is tied to the timeline, right? Like in '90s, there wasn't the even if there wasn't the history there, it wasn't documented. So when you guys were coming into the valley, like. And even when I was coming to the Valley, there was no history. I couldn't, I couldn't look up, you know, Mean Green back then and been like, Oh, what's Mean Green on Google. And like, here's this information and then I'm fed it. Yeah. And I do wonder if like in this time and age, because we are so, you know, we want to do a route, or we want to go to an area. The first thing we do is get on the internet.
1: We over-educate ourselves. Overeducate ourselves.
3: Yes, it's my. It's the same problem I have with my wife in ice climbing. She's over-educated herself, and now I get too many questions. And now
1: you can't trick her into going I can't and doing trick her Yeah, okay.
3: yeah. <laughs> and I think that I wonder if that is also part of this, right? Like that's what kind of where I where i started was i didn't have that information source so i think i kind of got attached ex- to that. like
1: so todd's little map there was an article in rock and ice and then the sort of guide map thing yep that todd cousins made mm-hmm. um Th- those that was the information that was available and then stories. But if you went to the Canadian Rockies at the same time, you know that the first Ascent of Polar Circus yeah. took two fucking days. You know that Lachlan was the first dude to solo it. You know that, you know, Slipstream was this, you know, that Borderline is only being, you know, right next to Slipstream is being climbed twice. You know that um, uh, Tom and uh, Ken almost got chopped on, you know, on the east face of Snowdome trying to do this other thing. Like, like all of the stories are you know were there and it was legend and it was talked about and it was shared and it wasn't necessarily in the guidebooks but it was in sort of common dialogue and there was nothing like that Mm-mm. in cody
3: nothing at all. fucking cool yeah and and really i mean until winter dance came out there wasn't really anything because it was pretty much the map yeah it was todd cousins map and that was it And so when winter dance came out, that's when I think all of a sudden people were like, Whoa, wait, this is right here. Yeah. (laughs) This is a six, seven hour drive from Colorado. What, you know? Um, and then people, then it started to really get some recognition. Um, but then how far, let's just say,
1: you know, into the road there's, okay, you, you, uh, go up the drainage, um, we were talking about it earlier uh, t- t- today where um, you drop down into the Creek and climb the thing on the, oh,
3: Deer Creek. Is that Deer Creek? Deer Creek is. Yeah. I think Deer, wait, one
1: you're thinking of. Deer Creek is where too cold to fire is. Correct. Right? Okay. So it's, so it's not that one. I don't think unless it's, I, I want to say it goes like if you get to the parking lot at the end of the road, instead of turning. Oh, cabin you, Creek. Yeah. Go up to the right. Mm-hmm. Cause up, off to the left, you'd cross the the main river and go to Pine Boulder and all that stuff. Yeah. But if you went right and started hiking up there, you know how far out were roots pushed? Had roots been pushed in '97 up oh. that drainage or up some of these other drainages? It feels like it's like three, four miles, and then mm-hmm. you know,
3: yeah. I, I mean, like Cabin Creek. So Cabin Creek was climbed, and then we did the extension to that, which is Wyoming Way, which was another five pitches. So I, I can't remember. If it was Todd or who did Cabin Fever. Okay. That was like the first pitch right off of Cabin Creek. But then... Where is Smooth Emerald Milkshake? Smooth Emerald Milkshake is Deer Creek. Is Deer Creek. Okay. So up,
1: you keep going past Too Cold to Fire.
3: In order to get to Deer Creek. The best way to go to Smooth Emerald Milkshake is actually to take the trail. Too Cold to Fire, you're kind of up the river. You're you're up the riverbed. Okay. But to that point, like we've been going up the river bottom and now yeah. there's another four, four routes up there now. Um, you know, and there's, there's not a ton more up cabin Creek than what was, than what was a done in, in the nineties. Okay. Um, the terrain just kind of changes a little bit as you go further up, but then cabin Creek did cabin Creek did provide a lot more. Um, there's a few things up past cabin fever um, that, you know, but you start getting in that far, you're talking about, you're talking about getting back in there. You're talking two, three hour approaches. Yeah. Um, and that was, you know, I mean, a, depending on the conditions and everything, that was a long ways. Oh yeah. yeah. I mean,
1: that's a, that's more than um, someone who's, who's out for a waterfall climbing day is maybe into
3: 100%, especially the person <laughs> that has come to Cody from out of town. The last thing you want to think about is going hiking up some random canyon for a couple of hours in hopes that you're going to climb something.
1: I mean, some of those things um, that were that are on the south facing side. I mean, you're still hiking, you know, up drainages and this and that. I mean, I th- I don't remember
3: how to get to the last pitch of Ovisite.
1: I, I mean, that's way up there. Oh yeah.
3: Yeah, last I mean, pitch Oversight, is—I mean—that's a haul. It's an, especially if there's snow. It's not insignificant, <laughs> no.
1: Which is also, you know, one of those things where
3: like, well, I want the I want the hard right by the road, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, the the hard right by the road is a whole another thing in Cody, you know. <laughs> oh,
1: yeah, because right by the road. I, I guess means you can see it from the road. Yeah, you and can see and it, and
3: that's where it all goes out the window. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, like it, it and it, I think that's probably what gets a lot of people too. Is it's just see, you can I can see it. Yeah, it's just right there. Well, yeah, you can see it, but it's also twenty five hundred feet above your head, and you're going to go from basically this high desert to a pretty serious alpine environment alpine, that's up yeah. there. Um, and that I think that's one of the unique things about the South Fork is that you're, you're hiking through sagebrush and cactus. And then, you know, two hours later, hour and a half later, you're in pretty serious alpine terrain with avalanche potential and everything else. And and
1: rockfall, and, and, and,
3: and then some years, you know, you can
1: walk across the river and some years, I mean, I remember, I think I must've been with Belcourt. I want to say miles smart was with us and Steve Swenson and, The fucking river was open, you know, when there were like shenanigans of throwing packs across these open things and getting running starts and maybe trying to drag a log, you know, out from somewhere to like bridge something like we're not even anywhere near starting going up yet.
3: Yeah. We're 30 minutes from the car and we're already trying to figure out how to get there. Yeah. Yeah. We're wet. Yeah. this, This is. Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I remember spending like an hour and a half trying to get a log across the river. And then, thankfully, two another party showed up and helped us <laughs> skim this thing across. Nice. And then we got across and we're like, oh, but we actually have to like straddle this log across. And then like with our packs on and stay upright and get across the damn thing. and And then yeah. figure out how
1: to dry off on the other side. Yeah. And then...
3: Yeah. Yeah. It this I think to me that's one of the things I love about the South Fork it's always throwing something at you. Yeah. You know, nothing and and that place everything changes. You know, I mean it, it one drainage you walk up at this year and you walk up in next year is going to look completely, completely different. Because there's so much relief from you know the elevation change that happens there like in the springtime or whatever if a rainstorm comes through, I mean it just demolishes stuff. I mean I've had bolts that have been completely like not I've had flattened hangers, but I've also had just completely sheared off bolts from, like, yeah, whatever's coming down.
1: And, um, the rock in the South fork is not famous <laughs> for its solidity. <laughs> let's say
3: no. Uh, it's, I mean, I think it's, uh, people would characterize it as kitty litter. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's,
1: it's some, some, I, I, I remember a pair of, um, at at some point when I came back and ran into Todd and uh, I can't remember if we climbed something might have climbed Broken Hearts and we were going down and he had these and I don't know if he had a different set of crampons for the descents <laughs> but they were the, like these foot fangs worn down to nubs because it's like yeah it's frozen kitty litter and, and you can't just like motor along it with your fucking ski poles and your yeah. bare Vibram soles. Like some, you know, you're going to come across some stuff that you might want to keep your crampons on for. Mm-hmm. And they are going to wear out real fucking quick.
3: Yep. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> I think that's one of the things that I was, uh, I found is, is, well, one, that crampons do not last very long in the South Fork because of that exact thing. Like you're not just wearing them on the ice. You're, You're wearing, wearing to them, fucking hike down sometimes. To hike down sometimes, yeah. whatever it might be. Um, it, but also like under like it was last year, like traversing this kitty litter slope over to this next pitch. And to me, you know, I mean, two decades of climbing in the South Fork, it was pretty normal. Mm-hmm. And I looked across, and this uh, this girl was with me, and this other guy, and and I looked across, and they were like deathly terrified. I was like, guys, there's like. You guys all good? You guys all right? Uh no, this is really sketchy. Can you get a rope out? And I'm like Oh uh, yeah, you know, yeah, I can do that. But you know, I just But you're just gonna pendulum like Doug yeah, Scott it's on the gonna, yoga, I don't know what know, I'm gonna like, put in for gear here, yeah. but uh yeah. Um got my special kitty litter steak.
2: <laughs> yep. You just
3: get so comfortable, you know, moving in that environment, um, yeah. that some things just become so natural to you, which kind of leads back to the whole, you know getting complacent but um but it also you know
1: would open up a topic of like you know psychological plasticity (laughs) like you can get used to anything oh yeah and you know i've been like reading some some of my own history um lately because sometimes i can't fucking remember you know believe that some of these things actually happened. but um i and it was a description of like okay i was I, i was climbing with barry in the alps And, you know, he'd grown up, you know, climbing in the Canadian Rockies where you put in like nine pieces and equalize them in order to get an anchor in the fucking rock that was once on the bottom of the ocean and trying to return there at every, you know, possible moment. Um, And, you know, in the Alps it'd be like, just like bomber fucking granite. You plug a single cam, you maybe back it up, maybe don't because it's so good. And just the way that we each move differently on the terrain that shaped us. Yeah. And, uh, and then thinking through, you know, that, that, that history of maybe it was 94 or something when I did the East face of Mount Babel with Peter Arbic, I think we did this second free ascent for sure. The first one day, um, and I was blown away. I was like, oh, this rock is fucking, you know, until you get up high where the good climbing is, you got to climb through this horrendous shit where you are putting, you know, three, four, five, six pieces together. Like your Barry would say, like you build in a little nest over here and then you build a little nest of gear over yeah. here and then you equalize the equalized components of these things. And I'm just like,
3: you guys, <laughs> And psychologically, I mean, it makes me feel better.
1: Yeah. And that's what you adapt to, and it's completely normal. But then someone coming, like let's just say, you know, some guys coming from the Alps, climbing solid granite mostly, um, for most of their careers, and they end up in the Canadian Rockies, and they, and it, you can adapt, mm-hmm. you just may not adapt on that first trip. Yeah, I mean, some yeah. guys did. I mean, there were, you know, mutants. Yeah, Frank Jordan being one of them, but, um, but, but, but just yeah it's frozen kitty litter you just keep your crampons on a walk across it man
3: yeah yeah and i think the same thing is also with the icing cody because of the the elevation that it sits like i've gotten very comfortable with sun-baked ice and or really wet ice or whatever it is where most people are being like wow no no way man that thing looks like a snow cone whereas i'm like oh this is great man this is easy my Axes throw all the way to the bottom. <laughs> like, this is great. You know, like there is a comfort level that comes. And some of that is, is definitely misguided, but, um, but the is, environment. It, is
1: that because of, in, in some ways, is it because of the way the ice forms in the South fork? Um, like, you know, let's say Canadian Rockies, maybe it's like this, maybe it's not, I don't know, but it's forming, you know, it's a little bit of ice, a little bit of ice, a little bit of ice, and it all sort of, and it can, if it doesn't, you know flash freeze then it's laminated and solid mm-hmm. whereas I, I feel like a lot of times in cody it's just it's there's a lot of air in it yeah. almost making you know reminding me of um places where you know that first cold snap of the winter just forms everything and then it's just there yeah and then it's maybe rotting from you know <sighs> the sun or from sublimation or you know so whatever, but I th- but I think you're right. that the the character of the ice in South Fork is 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 different from some other zones. That are yeah, also and it,
3: it definitely sticks better to that rock, to that volcanic rock. Like it just oh yeah. I mean it's it, it, it's quite amazing how well it does stick to it because it is so porous. Yeah, you know versus a granite or something like that. And the
1: Canadian Rockies same. You know limestone relatively porous
3: sticks mm-hmm. really good,
1: um, and then you know certain routes in in you know the alps or you know these these zones where there's like oh, it's granite underneath you're just like ho oh, oh, ho oh. ho okay yeah. this is suspended from the top supported from the bottom and not attached to the rock behind it
3: no and and i think the other thing too like and i always compare it to like canada's the amount of snow they have so like when i think of pillars and you think of that warming trend happening i think of the base of the pillars in the canada There's a lot of movement still to happen, right? Like there's that snow, everything that's underneath it. Whereas in Cody, there's not as much snow. So my base typically has more ice, which means that it's not going to settle as much. The the tip touches down on
1: rock or hard frozen kitty litter and then spreads out or grows a cone cone to support it. Whereas if it touches down on a bottomless snowpack,
3: I'm okay. Yeah. Yeah. Which, which allows those things to stay a whole lot longer and they feel so much better. Um, and temperatures are also play a key role in that, right? Like it's just milder temperatures, but, and in so many ways that it's also misleading, but it allows you to get away with much more than you may in other venues.
1: So some of these, um, zones around, you know, I mean, you go up the South Fork and I think you said at some point there's like the boundary of the wilderness where no motorized traffic is allowed. Um, the boundary is like 300 yards from the road or maybe closer. Um, and so to get further back in some places, you're either on foot or you're on hook. Like you can, some of these places you can horse pack into in some seasons, in a dry season.
3: Yeah. in a really good dry season, depending on the trail, you could, you could horseback, which we've done, but for the most part, you're pretty much foot. You know, a lot of these trails will get pretty icy. So that kind of eliminates your, your horse. Like, so one of the big places we went into, we were able to get about seven, eight miles in on horseback. Okay. And then the trail really started descending up into this upper Valley. And there was a spring that went right down the trail so it was just a giant you know so they're done so they're done yeah you know um eight miles that's a good head start but it was a good head start (laughs) oh yeah yeah we had a nice wall (laughs) tent down at the bottom of that place um and yeah otherwise i don't know how you you, you're just going to carry in all your stuff to go back in there for a few days but for the most part it's 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 yeah you're you're going on you're going on foot and and i think that changes the training too big time. Oh you know, yeah, like um, I climb with a few people that are really, really strong mixed climbers, and we've I've you know trying to better myself, learn more about their training and everything else. Yeah, and there's very little cardio. There's very little legs. It's there's really no cardio. And I'm just you like
1: you make one of those guys hike three miles, and yeah. the, you know there's a couple of grades come off the top end. Uh huh.
3: Yeah. yeah, I'm like I got be able to go hike two to three hours and then maybe climb a couple of pitches and then get to what I need to be a hundred percent at. Yeah. Like I've got to have the cardio base. I've got to have the leg base. Otherwise it's just like, it's game over for me once I get there. And, and, and these, the few people that I've climbed with, that's, that's what's happened. You know, like really strong guys. I get there and they're just like, dude, I'm, I'm freaking toast. Yeah. I'm tired. I'm
1: I mean, like, Scott and I, always thought that like you go to Cody you get super fit because not only you can you know you can climb technically hard roots steep roots you know where you, you need to be pulling yeah um, but you also have to get to them yeah and then you also have to be fresh enough once you're at the top of them to you know navigate your way down which especially you know let's just I'll say early 90s you know a lot of the you know it's not obvious you're you know yeah you can repel mean green you know but there's you know, repelling's is not always the best. And there's certain no. pitches that you can walk around and, and certain things are coming off broken hearts. You know, the, the, the things like that, where it's like, it, it's, it's more Alpine in nature, the, uh, more Alpine than roadside in nature, even though you can see the roots from the road.
3: Yeah, and I think you start to figure out how can you use some of those routes to then better yourself for the other bigger routes or to yeah. to other destinations. And I think, you know, like the Broken Hearts, which everybody, if you've been to Cody, pretty much everybody's climbed Broken Hearts. Yeah. Is, you know, we call it the Alpine Simulator, which is to climb the first four to five pitches mm-hmm. and then do the walk-off and do it for time. Yeah. And, you know, so... It, so up, like, to pillar, pillar, of, yeah. Yeah, up to the base of the pillar. Base of the pillar. Yeah. Yep. Solo all up to the base pillar, then do the walk-off and do yeah. it for time. And, and you know... F- 57 minutes? I wish. I okay. I I... I The first time I did it was two hours, two hours, I think 15. Okay. And I thought, oh man, that's going to be tough to break two hours. And then I think I did hour 45, hour 30. I think it was an hour 20. And then the last time I think it was an hour and 12. And I'm not that far off, man. I know you're not too far (laughs) off. What's crazy (laughs) is actually the hour and 12 time I was on the kind of the, the, if you're gonna solo those, the the third pitch is kind of the crux, the steeper of them all. Yeah. And I had my through my because you gotta have if you're gonna move fast, you gotta have poles with you. Yeah. And I quickly broke down my poles and threw them my backpack, and I was on the steepest part of that third pitch, and I went to swing, and I caught that, <sighs> I caught the basket of the pole. Yeah. In that tool, and so here I am, like trying to like get my tool out of the basket, right in like the crux steep part <sighs> of that thing. You know, and I'm just like, you gotta be kidding me. And I, it was, it took me a little while to get the damn thing out.
1: That's a minute right there. Yeah, there was a minute,
3: (laughs) you know, and, uh, I still, I thought for sure. And I don't, I don't, I think I looked at my watch because typically won't look at my watch until I get to where you can see the fifth. Okay. Cause my thing's always been like, you gotta go, you gotta take a picture of the amphitheater, which means you gotta go up just a little bit higher before you do the walk off. Yeah. Um, and I remember looking at it and I was like, oh wow, I didn't burn as much time as i thought i did like but I, unfortunately i should have looked at my watch because i think i would have kicked in the afterburners a little bit yeah. instead of kicking it in a minute at that point um but yeah i mean you get what i think that thing's like i think you get 1500 feet maybe okay something like that again uh-huh. um and there's a lot of climbing and scrambling all between there and then that walk-off is pretty much you know, just let it go. Let it ride. Oh go down. <laughs> um, but now I know I haven't, I, I need to go back. Cause I know I, 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 man, I know I can get, I'm quite, I know where I can cut my time. And I actually mm. just figured out a, a slightly different variation of the walk-off that I think, I think I gained a couple of minutes. So I got to go back. It's
1: very much like what was happening in the Alps. When I first went over there, <laughs> guys are just day climbing routes that had, you know, been two and three day routes, yeah. you know, as the norm. And then figuring out like, well, these mountains aren't getting any taller. What are we going to do? Well, you know, if you do the descent off the, uh, off, let's say the North face of Lake what you can, you're kind of at the bottom of the North face of the telephon, And if you climb that and you go down, then you're at the base of the North face of the grand girass and you could do that. I don't know. Let's
3: kind of starts all time together.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which you know, it's just, and, 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 then that to me would lead back to this idea of psychological tolerance of like, if you, if you're, uh, and like taking the thing that liberated me in the mountains, I think one of the biggest things was to unhook myself from the idea of an eight hour work day. Cause I think like we, we get adapted in, in the sense of time to how our days go mostly. And then we put ourselves in other environments and then we still have that relationship to time. So if, if you think that, um, you know, an eight hour, eight hours of work, eight hours of climbing, whatever is a full day, then you're done. And you want to go to, you know, you want to pitch your tent and get your stove out and go to sleep. But if you just like unhook yourself from that, train yourself to, um, to go for more than eight hours nonstop. And then it's like the the, the possibilities and then your pack gets lighter because you're not going to sleep. And then, um, I was talking with this, uh, this guy, Luke Nelson, who's no stranger to long efforts, um, running some climbing, I think he was national champion ski mountaineering racer represented the U S and Europe in a bunch of races and, uh, has done a, has done a bunch of big hundred mile things. And he's, he's no slouch as a climber either. And I was telling him about this, like the, the the th- like, I think it was ni- it would have been 1980, and my partner Andrew and I, he was, you know, there was a thing you would like hike up Snow Creek, pitch your tent, sleep, climb like seven pitches or whatever it is up to 5'9 or 5'10a on the south face of Prussic Peak, rappel down, sleep in your tent again, and then hike out. And my friend Andrew was like, I think we could do that in a day. You know, and it ends up being, it's not a, it's, and now by, by the standards now, um, it's, it's, maybe it's a 20 mile round trip day. Hmm. not that big the climbing's not that hard hmm. but for us in 1980 it was a big fucking day and it was really hard and and, and the reason that luke and i got on this conversation was because uh we, we were having a discussion about falling asleep at the wheel after big efforts and trying to get back to work <laughs> um, but it but that um that thing was only possible for andrew and i in that time 42 years ago <laughs> is that really how long ago that, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh um because we had kind of unhooked from the the, the sense of like we're going to go until we're we can't go anymore we're not going to go until our watches arbitrarily tell us to stop yeah. and i and i th- th- think that you know this idea of you know broken hearts being a big fucking deal. And then broken hearts being a one hour and 11 minute. And I think I can shave a couple of more minutes off of it thing. That's a complete disassociation of time that, you know, that, that we've experienced in our lifetime and climate careers, Yeah, which is really cool because other things similar to that have also happened in terms of the, um, the, the, the disassociation, I think. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and and then there's, I think, a certain manipulation of risk that has happened that allowed routes, you know, that had been possible, had been impossible before that were maybe unprotectable with certain ethics or certain tools <laughs> <laughs> and then reducing the, the risk, you know, with the application of technology, let's say, and I've been against, I've been for, I'm doesn't fucking matter, um, but with the application of tech, you reduce some of the risk, and then suddenly the technical standards skyrocket. Yeah, it seems like it's happened. I'll just say in this area around you know, because I I mean I don't know necessarily how many. I I, I want to say like the the first two really hard mixed routes that got done were up above the moratorium.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, barely legal, legal at last. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I mean it, it, all done.
1: And there's and there's probably more. And those were all done on trad gear. Trad right? gear, yeah. yeah
3: Throwing some pins and the one, uh let's see barely legal. The funny thing about that one is it's it actually hasn't been repeated in a very, very long time. Really? Because there was this fifteen twenty foot chunk of ice that formed at the bottom. That allowed you to get to the crack system that was there that led you to the top. Okay, it's never been there. No, I don't know if a piece of if that rock moved, which I don't know that makes sense because the spring would still be there. Mm. But whatever that source of that water was is no longer there, and I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it since. Well, I don't think I've ever. I've never seen it. So somewhere oh. in early 2000, you know, because I probably wasn't looking at it in the late 90s because that was well above my pay grade. Okay, um, but in the 2000s, I never saw it, um, and it's never been climbed since then. Wow. Yeah. So I don't know what's what's happened with that one. Um, I remember actually the year. I mean, that- I wonder
1: if the spring change, you know, the water source changed there because I've the moratorium used to be. Pretty fat. I mean, it used to form fatter. regularly formed fatter. Right early then, yeah. yeah.
3: But this year it's not. Yeah. You know? So, I mean, it's... And I remember in 2000, in the early 2000s up to about 2013, like, moratorium was gone. It was no non-existent. Shit. No shit. You know, those drought years that we had. And now okay. we're kind of going back to that again. Like, it's it's not there kinda this year.
1: Knock on wood. Mm-hmm. Because... This winter started off pretty good, snowfall wise.
3: Yeah, yeah, but in the South Fork it was warm, and so the the, the 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 South Fork needs a wet summer and a very wet fall. Okay, and it got neither of those this year, so yeah. it meant, and then that's that was on top of a pretty dry summer fall last year too. So the two together which that wall is normally like this magnificent ice climbing wall Oh my god. Yeah. is pretty much non-existent. I mean, there's no joy after pain. There's no moratorium. moratorium. I think the second pitch is kind of there a little bit, but nothing about okay. it. Um, uh, but yeah, those years are kind of like it, it's, it's weird how that kind of fluctuates, but I've just never seen that thing. And I remember the year that that thing touched as a pillar. Um, and I remember going up to it, tapping on that thing. And I was like, Oh man, this thing just like This thing's ready to This thing's ready to ride Yeah And I backed off And then I think uh, Jack Roberts went up He backed off Whit Magro went up He backed off and then, you know, as these people that's start a, going, you're just a, like,
1: that's a pretty good consensus exactly. of relatively good climbers. <laughs> but, who all boy, did I kick no. myself. And
3: I was like, oh, they're going to be the ones that are going to get it." But everybody. And I was like, it just reassures you yeah. like, okay, yeah, I did make the right decision because all these other guys are got the same feeling from that thing. And uh, I think, I believe it was maybe after wit was there that the thing, the thing collapsed okay. like the day, the day later or something like that. I was like, okay. We all made the right call on this thing. Like it was ready. Like you could just. I feel like sometimes with pillars, you can just feel the pressure in them. Yeah. Just like even a little tap, you can just feel the pressure that's within them, and that was one of those. I was just like, "This is no, not today." Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if we had like a, I don't know, maybe a ninety pounder to send, <laughs> take, yeah. the, take the rope up there. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah. Maybe. Yep. yep.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And there's a couple of routes that were like that. You know, I mean there's I mean, Mean Streak was an Alex Lowe route that I think he did in like ninety six. Okay. And never reappeared until two thousand fourteen. Wow. Um and to really, I I mean that was kind of what I, I I trying to get the second ascent of some of those routes was kind of my goal for a long time and still is. There's only a few left on my list, but um yeah, that one but that one totally suckered me in like it, I got into it about 50 feet and then got past the point of no down climbing and not enough ice to do anything to go down. Um, yeah, it was one of those types of situations. And then, you know, your salvation was a really crappy, scrappy pillar. Um, but you know, we were able to, we were able to connect it all together, but, uh, there's some, there's some fun things like that in the Valley, but, and then that thing was gone. I think, couple of people got up at that year and it was gone two weeks later and then hasn't been, I, it came in again, I think two, three years later and got really fat. Okay. But it was only in for about three weeks or so and then it was gone, but it only comes in early. That's the only time that one comes in early.
1: With all of that sort of fluctuation. I mean, some, some, some of that fluctuation, you know, results in new possibilities, obviously, but let's just say, you know, roots are
3: disappearing and this and that. What's kept you? Wow, I mean, what's kept me going all the years is just that that corner I never checked out, you know the the unexplored um hiking a little bit further than I did the last time I mean those are the things that really keep me going. I think if I was living anywhere else, I probably would have quit ice climbing a while ago because i i don't it's I enjoy ice climbing, but I love the exploration of it more it you know, viewing
1: from the outside, um, that seems to be the thing. It's like there's a new zone, a new thing, a new, you know, I mean, I know hunters that are, you know, you take your ice tools for a walk. I know hunters who take their, you know, (laughs) hunting tools for walks. And then, you know, and, and sometimes you get skunked and sometimes you get, you know, you find the, the, the thing, um, in this, it seemed like last, was it, like, yeah, it was twenty twenty one. It seemed like that was a pretty
3: good twenty one. Was good. I mean, <laughs> man, twenty it was good too, but twenty one was really good. I mean, uh, I mean, double digit new roots for the season. I think both of those years were like eighteen, even twenty was one of the years, but um, some of that stuff's just all timing. Being in the right place. Like, so last year, yeah, it was up, up here in Cook City. We had an early snowfall, and I think it was like two feet of snow. It was warm, it was wet. And then the next days, it was single digits and teens. And so that snow came down, insulated the rocks, water was still flowing. So anything that was free falling was freezing quite quickly. And it was probably once in a decade conditions. Okay. And I think by, I think in a three day stint, we'd put up, I think new, nine new routes, eight new routes. Um, and all of those for the most part, multi-pitch. Um, and majority of those are quite good. Um, and one of those routes last year was well over a thousand feet. So um, it, 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 I think l- I've lived here long enough to understand the, the cycles of weather okay. and yeah. what to look for, you know, especially in that early season, what's going to set one, one area off versus another. Has, has, um,
1: and I just, because we talked about this one zone that um, Kurt cousins and I had walked towards, but not far enough seemed to be the story of our lives in 1983. <laughs> but does, does um, has, has kayaking, you know brought insight like into like terrain features that you wouldn't otherwise have um seen let's just you know say in that particular canyon that we were talking about is that <laughs> was was that a, when you kind of discovered some of that stuff was that like a walk in from the bottom or had you seen it in a you know looked at some of the drainages and features in there in a springtime in a boat
3: yeah i mean for sure you no know, floating the clark's fork definitely okay maybe realize some places Deer I Creek. I wasn't gonna yeah, say I'll break it I mean there's yeah. a lot of the there's 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 a lot of the Clark's Fork. so um the entry <laughs> fee is <laughs> okay. high uh but Deer Creek yeah I mean Deer Creek was a place that we you know we did the first descent of Deer Creek and i would never really been in the depths of Deer Creek okay and doing that by doing that I was able to see some other places that I just never had, had hiked far enough up to see and I was like oh there's water on that that looks spring fed. Maybe that's got ice on it. So there are places that kind of open my eyes up to there. There must be something here later on. And, and some of those have, have been totally not worked out for me. Yeah. And then others have worked out quite well. Um. And they're, they're just kind of hit or miss, you know I mean? it's also
1: a really wild way to shift your vision, like using one sort of exploratory activity to feed, you know, the information or the database for another. And I don't know. I mean, I'm thinking like what else would be like that? Cause if you, you wouldn't be riding a mountain bike through that terrain or, you know, something, although uh, if you were a rock climber, mountain bike might be the key to ac- yeah. access some of <gasps> that t- terrain. <laughs> um, but it's a wild combination of act of, of activities to me um, that, that that almost feed each other. Oh yeah. In a way, I mean, flowing
3: water. Yeah, I I, I think on more on, on on many levels, I think both from the 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 mental piece and where you have to be for that helps you, um, but also in the exploratory fashion of, and many of these rivers and creeks that you might go through, that is like the only way to actually explore it is being in a kayak yeah you're not gonna walk it because there's you you can't yeah (laughs) yes (laughs) um and uh you're not
1: gonna swim it because you don't want to yeah yeah
3: (laughs) Yeah. like upper south fork i mean we did two new routes in there because i had kayak that upper canyon in the summertime okay and came down i'm like oh there's two big waterfalls coming into this canyon like these must freeze um, and sure enough, they do. Yeah. They're
1: a higher elevation than yep. the ones down lower that freeze mm-hmm. with some consistency.
3: Yeah. But they were just out of sight. Yeah. You know, you could have walked up the trail and you never would have saw them. No shit. Yeah. But if you were down on the river, well then you were able to different point to of view, them. different to point to of change view. your perspective and, yep.
1: the, and
3: the world becomes a different place.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
3: And it's also, I think in, in a way, just such a incredible way to experience some of these places as well.
1: And, and has, has hunting sort of fed into, did it feed into the sort of the exploratory, you know, a- aspect of it? Cause I, you know, growing up, it sounds like you were hunting from a, oh like yeah. a, a young age and then coming out here, I would think like, oh, autumn, not quite freezing yet, but I get to move around in these zones that I wouldn't normally go to if I wasn't, you know, hiking with a purpose,
3: let's say. Yeah. I think that the hunting piece was was probably the key for why i actually started going down that road of exploration because that's how my dad was my dad you know hunting was always wanted to get away from people and And because
1: and 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 in his hunting the 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 hunting that he did was that that was when you were living in northern california
3: yeah when i was in california it was mostly small game and things like that, um, you know, quail hunting or duck hunting or whatever it might be, okay. but he was always focused on getting away from people and always like had this. So you so you hunted a lot of waterfowl, let's yeah. say,
1: um, hence like it, it was curious really when we were talking about like, you know, cooking meat, um, <laughs> and you mentioned goose and I'm like, well, I've eaten my fair share of goose liver. Like overly fed goose liver, like swollen goose liver, oh. irritated goose liver, because I'd spent <laughs> some time in France, Um, but I've never had like I don't think I've had the actual bird. Oh yeah! And you d- said, oh, you just like like this and like this, and it's extraordinary.
3: Yeah, yeah. They're just, they're just my my dad loved cooking wild game, so he's always kind of definitely explored in the hunting sense but always explored on the cooking sense as well i was always trying something a little bit different but yeah like um a goose almost eaten like like sushi grade okay was kind of one of his favorites like just a quick sear real thin slice a little bit of mustard his favorite was to let it cool so like then, a goose carpaccio or yeah something like almost. he'd let, put it in the refrigerator yeah and then the next day would slice that real thin so it was kind of chilled <sighs> Yeah. And okay. it just falls apart. Yeah, you know, uh, wow. most people think of goose and like, Oh, it's really oily. And it's, you know, it's, it's this and that, but done right. It's, it's absolutely incredible.
1: And it's, and it's funny because like, um, let's just say, you know, out West Montana, Wyoming, you know, when you think hunting, it's like always big game Yeah. or, you know, or you're shooting range pests and, you know, eating antelope, you know, for the, yeah. which I just, I, and I just remember that because. I remember, like, I think it was a quote from Todd Skinner back in the day. It was from, like, Antelope, man, it's
3: good eating. <laughs> antelope is quite good. Yeah. Antelope is probably my favorite, actually. Really? Oh, I love antelope. Yeah, I love antelope. And that's like medium game, right? Oh, yeah. It, it, antelope is all. And super in hard. How to s- it's taken care of. Okay. People will talk about, my opinion, how it's shot and everything else. Has, you know, you shoot it, run it. No, 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 no. It's all about. Did you shoot it on the eighty degree day, and then sit there with your buddies, you know, and drink a couple of beers, and let it sit in the back of your truck until nightfall came, and you know, it's just sitting there. Like, okay. Okay. So obviously thats
1: that not that not sound like a good recipe for yeah like, like great antelope exactly yeah.
3: <laughs> like getting it hung, getting it chilled very quickly. That is the key. That's what okay. makes antelope really good. It is really probably pretty much any game, but antelope is hunted traditionally earlier. Okay, which means warmer temperatures are, are yeah. typically around. So, um, you got to really focus on getting that thing chilled much faster, a lot, a lot faster.
1: Yeah, and um, and harder to stock.
3: In some ways, you know, there's a lot more antelope, but I mean, it just depends on the hunting terrain. I've I've hunted okay. most of my antelope in the, and the South Fork. So. Okay. You know, if, if there's lots of good hills and things to hide in and around. But yeah, yeah I mean, they're... Yeah, they're Okay. I think I was told at one point their eyes are like like looking through a pair of eight by ten binoculars or something. Oh, no shit. Yeah. Like, so they're... they're. I mean, yeah, those, they can see you. No. The thing that gets antelopes, they're just... They're curious. They're curious animals. That's what gets them. No kidding. Yeah. Like, people that hunt, hunt them with archery yeah. will, like, stand on some... Or that stand, they'll, they'll be sitting on some ridge line and like wave a little white flag or something or like hold the flag up and they'll be very curious of what, what is that? And they'll come towards that white flag sometimes. They're just very curious animal. Yeah. But they're, they're super interesting. And that shall be their undoing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean... Yeah. But like if they're, you know, their hair is hollow. Uh, okay. So if you, if you, you could almost pluck their hair off like you could like a duck feathers and it's hollow. So when it's really hot, they can lift that fur to really get the air to, the air to flow. But when it's cold, they can lay that down. But it's, yeah, if you ever look at an antelope fur, it's hollow. It's, it's I had un- no idea. Yeah, that's, it's very unique. That's, that's
1: pretty wild. Yeah.
3: Along oh, with their eight by 10 eyes. And, and <laughs> their
1: fucking VO2 max. Y- and that. Which I, th- I think it's one of the highest in the, you know, animal, mammal kingdom. Oh man. Of, really? Yeah. Um, and I, I, I had the numbers in one of our old training manuals cause I was just trying to illustrate, you know, like what difference between Reinhold Messner and a fucking antelope, you know, oh. in terms of oxygen efficiency. Um, and so then when you got here, that sort of exploratory thing that, you know, your dad instilled in you, um, I mean, you, I, I'm guessing that you've hunted elk here.
3: Yeah. Uh, a little, I mean, my first time to Cody was actually, um, elk hunting. That was the first time I'd ever come to Cody. Okay. Um, and, and the second time I came, I didn't, I actually, it was my 21st birthday and I, it was my first or second year ice climbing. And the guy I was with was like, Hey, I've heard of this place, Cody, you know, cause I told him I was going there and he's like, he's like, Oh, we should go climbing. I was like, "Sure." I was like, "Why don't we go a day or two ahead of time before I'm supposed to meet up with my dad to go hunting?" He's like, "Yeah, let's go do that." So, I remember, yeah, we climbed uh climbed Main Vein on my 21st birthday. And uh and then I met up with my dad after two days in the valley and and went hunting with him. So, definitely hunting is kind of what brought me to Cody and kind of opened my eyes to what was there. Um and then it was kind of, you know, it was history after that. I was kind of in, in love with the place. And I, I mean, it was really the, the wildness of like Cody, you know, the, and the, the, it was so easy to just get away from people. It was so easy to go explore and maybe it had been explored or, or not, but you could, but it's, just, it's exploring for you exploring for <clears throat> me, you know? And I, and I, 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 a lot of people asking ask me like, Why do I like, you know, you just have that great place. I'm like, no, you're like, you can go exploring anywhere like just oh yeah get off the trail go somewhere and start walking a mile or two in that other direction like wherever everybody else is going. you're not going to see anybody and if you didn't do any google research it's <laughs> yeah. exploration <laughs> it's, yeah
1: <clears throat> you know in some way um and so your your work allows you to be in cody or this environment you know most of the most of the time yeah that, uh so you started working remotely before working remotely was yeah. mandatory. Before it was, a thing. <laughs> before it was a mandated thing?
3: Yep. Uh, it's
1: liberating in some way. I mean, just... It <clears throat> would be he, really tough for me to work in an office. Oh, I can't see it. But, I, but, but what, where I was headed there with that is, is um, in order to take advantage of good conditions, you have to be in the conditions full time to understand what's good and what's not and when things might happen and when things might not. Yeah. And I, I, you know, that Andy Park and I had a discussion a long time ago where he, his opinion was, Hey, the visiting climber is the stronger climber. And I'm like, why? And he goes, well, because they got a limited amount of time and they want to get it fucking done. So a, they're going to charge harder. They're going to take more risk than the people who have been here. And they're not fucking complacent. Obviously we were Hmm. talking about Chamonix, um, because you know, if you, if, if the cable cars were shut down, then no one was going climbing, you know, the locals, but you came from a different mountain range where fucking like, I mean, I started climbing in the, in the Cascades and North Cascades, Barry started climbing in the Canadian Rockies. I mean, you're just, you're hiking all the, that's the, that's the majority of it. You know, there's the hiking to climbing ratio is skewed in the wrong way for a climber, not in the wrong way for a hiker. And. But so being there, and i mean there were there were there were guys who were like in in the Alps i mean in the Mont Blanc massif on both the French and the Italian side who were sort of masters at understanding the ephemeral, and I'm guessing you know living in Cody and you know being not only there through throughout you know winter after winter but being present year round, you get pretty sensitive to the the environment <laughs> Oh, more yeah. so than the visiting guy absolutely and i don't sense any complacency no. having developed from being here and thinking oh it'll be in condition then or
3: i have a number of things that come to my mind as you talk about that they're just like absolute weather windows that that has to it's it'll happen it's it's a matter of when it's going to happen but it will be small and you've got to be willing and ready to go Um, And I can think of a number of routes that were exactly that, where it was like, I was there, I I watched it, saw it and attacked. And then two days later it's gone, you
1: know? And so that means, you know, there's, there's a fitness implication to that, to, to being ready to take advantage of like, no, I'm not going to, I don't have a three month workup just in case this is going to happen. It's like, you need to maintain a re, you know, a high level of fitness most of the, most of the time, which, um, and we've been talked a little bit about, I mean, and there's, and, and maintaining a high level of fitness, you know, um, for long periods of time comes with some risk, you yeah. know, the sense of, <laughs> I mean, the, the athletes who last the longest are the athletes who have seasons, you know, and, and whether those seasons are specific to their sport or they are, they are, artificially imposed by you know their trainer their coach or mm-hmm. their own knowledge of their own sort of body but it seems like man you've been maintaining and and i'm guessing that you know if you were going from you know a full season of you know hard rock climbing into a full season of hard ice and mixed climbing back into a full season of hard rock climbing you know you're there's some uh, overuse types of things that can happen. But it seems also that maybe like the switch off back and forth between ice climbing and kayaking and, and the, and the necessary seasonality of that, yeah. um, has probably kept you healthy for,
3: you know, longer than some other
1: guys could have been.
3: I have, yeah, hundred percent agree. And I think also it's probably also kept me alive, um, because I have been able to turn off that climbing You know, and that complacency didn't continue to, didn't, didn't continue on, you know, really that complacency for me would only have been able to be created in six months. And then there was three, four months of zero climbing whatsoever. Like, you know, I just didn't rock climb. I I mean, when I lived in Boulder, I rock climbed. I'd probably rock climb every other day. But when I moved to Cody, I'd rock climb a little bit. But when I was introduced to kayaking, then it was rock climbing. It was like, no. and then I really enjoyed the the off season from climbing yeah and switching it up, and I think that i and really enjoyed the different mental stimulation that that came with that and the the you know, the strategizing that also came with it as well um but it turned off climbing, so then when winter came when October came and the and I'm sitting there tying in, it was like, "Oh shit, I don't like did mm. I do that right, you know, or you get to that anchor and you're like how do I you know, I got to remember how to do this like it made me rethink everything and it continued on on an annual basis on kept an annual you basis. sort of
1: fresh and yeah a, and, I can't, and paranoid in a
3: way I, I i wish more people could figure out that balance because i do think it could prolong especially people that are that are climbing a lot you know in a high volume amount um i think it prolongs your your life as a climber both from a health perspective but also from a life perspective. Um, I mean, is there? Is there, there? There has to be something
1: there also that, um, uh, maybe we talked about this a little bit, but you know, the finite amount of risk or luck, <laughs> or you know that that one may have, and if you just keep going to the, you know, you keep going and making withdrawals, yeah, you, um, uh, you know, you you might come up short one day and mm-hmm. they don't send out a balance sheet for that. But um, it seems like changing, you know, in a way those activities would keep your relationship to the risk specific to those activities pretty healthy because you're not, you know, 24 seven mm-hmm. year round.
3: Yeah. And I think we know the, the, you know, statistics law of average is going to tell you the more you're out there, the more you're at that risk that, higher the likelihood of something happening eventually whether it's controlled or not controlled it's just it's just a matter of time i think i you know that i think the analogy that you've used and i've heard in the past is you know yeah you've got this unknown bank account balance and you just don't know what it is but you just keep pulling and pulling and pulling yeah is the best way to look at that and i think that i had fooled myself though at one point that thinking like i could pull I had two bank accounts. I had one that was a climbing one, one that was a kayaking one. And I think over the last couple of years I've realized that no, they're the same one. Um and I don't know what that balance one's, one's looks checking, like. one's savings. Yeah, you know, or so. Exactly. And I think, you know, over the last couple of years I've really stepped back as, you know, friends losing friends and, and age, I'm sure at the same time, but really like um, I think that the, the losing one of my best friends and then losing the person who my mentor that taught me how to kayak and, you know, he died in a class three river. He had run over a hundred times, you know, just totally random event really made me force myself to think about, you know, was, can I, can I burn the candle at both ends? And, okay. um, was that going to be a healthy way for me to go. And I, I finally had to come to a conclusion of like, it wasn't, it wasn't like I was, I was,
1: but there's gotta be a way to make deposits into that account. Like if we hypothesize, we like make up this whole idea of this hypothetical account of, you know, luck and good fortune and there's no balance sheet and someday you can get overdrawn. I mean, that, the, the, that, that basically, Imposes the notion that you can make deposits into it. How do we do that? <sighs>
3: I mean, if you can figure that one out, I'd love to know <laughs> what Because I, was... uh, I will Damn it, I gladly make that. some deposits. Yeah, um, but I think you know, like at least with those two sports, there's just you can't control everything. You know, there's just stuff you can't control, which is part of the attraction of Which it. is absolutely a part of the attraction. Like yeah. that's what like. And I think for me, it was when ice climbing season started to come to an end, I was tired. I was tired of being in that mental state. Like I was always like, man, oh, man, I'm kind of a rest, like when's the warm weather coming? Cause man, I feel like I'm at the freaking edge of this rope and yeah. man, I'm feeling really, really good. Look, maybe too much confidence, but mentally I feel like I need a break from this and then kayaking would provide that for me. And so then I, would boom, give it all into that. Um, and I, you know, I just, I mean, that was And the kayaking long...
1: season. Let's say, I mean, it's like the ice season. It oh, yeah. force like it environmentally. The, 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 end is driven by rivers
3: drying up drying up. Yeah. And you, and you would kind of chase it, right? You'd, you'd okay. The, 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 the smaller streams would go off usually earlier. So you'd get those, you know, those are, and typically those around here would be steeper and in some ways more dangerous. Um, and then the bigger rivers, you wouldn't be running them at the higher flows. So you'd wait till then that spring runoff started to be a little bit more controlled because higher, like too high, too high or so high
1: that it's boring.
3: No, most of the time they don't get boring as they get higher. Okay. There might be a few instances out there, but typically, I mean, the just, higher like they get,
1: obviously, I'm showing my ignorance here, but I'm just thinking, like, well, if you know,
3: yeah, hydraulics start coming into there, like you start, you know, you start dealing with some really weird. Um, so even water. the appearance of uh, some of the d- hardest kayak runs in the world are never done in high water. Okay, they're done at probably a medium to low flow. Okay. Yeah. And, and, you know, with everything, everybody is kind of, you know, moving that level up, you know, like Ten Sleep Creek is one that was kind of uh, back in the day. And if most people know of Ten Sleep for their rock climbing, but that creek is probably one of the stoutest class five drops in the United States without a single drop being more than five feet. And it's because it literally just falls off the place face of the earth <laughs> boulder by boulder by boulder by boulder. Wow. Um, and it's horizon line, horizon line, horizon line. And we used to run that at like there's a gauge, we used to run it really low. And we always thought like ten inches was that 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 was that's that's freaking high. You know, you'd run it start running it at eight inches, you'd run it up to ten, but you'd never go foot. And then we started running at a foot and then you started running at a foot and a half. Um, and I remember the last time we ran it, I think it almost, we ran the first section at two feet and we responsibly got out at the bridge (laughs) realizing this was an out of control situation and this was probably not going to end very well. Um, but you know, so we realized, but to this day, I'm like, somebody will run it at two feet. All the, know, all the way through all the yeah. way through they yeah. they better know that it's completely clean all the way down but like um i think it, you know with everything right i mean the, the rivers are the same way you can you can run them at higher flows there's some i would say are become completely unrunnable at high flows though like okay. the clark's fork here um it's called the box it's one of the top five multi-day runs in the united states it's 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 a very coveted run but the window to run that river is probably two weeks. That's oh, no, it. Sh- no shit. That's long two weeks probably. Lately it's been almost more like a week. Um, but it's very small. Yeah. Like there's and I think, you know, Chenard and those guys, when they first did the Clark's Fork, I believe it was sixteen days. You know, that's what they first did the first descent. In and, no shit. and I think that was I think it was like sixteen days and like twenty something you know, portages and, and now it's done pretty much a minimum of three portages. Um, and done, it can be done in a day as well. Okay. Uh, most people do it in two days. That like standard is two days. Um, Whoa. and the standard is probably more like seven portages. There's a couple of pretty stout ones in there. Um, but you know, but it's very small window for when the opportunity is there. Damn. <laughs> this is just It's reminding me Of
1: like a conversation I'd probably had with A stilted conversation Because his English Wasn't that good With Giancarlo Grassi And I want to say It was Ice Fest Like the first Fucking organized Ice festival Uh In Europe Um It was in It was in di Coyne And uh I think it would have been 1990. And, and, and he was a guy who did more like disappearing roots than I think anybody I've ever heard of since. And just super sensitive. And, 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 and again, a guy who walked around a lot yeah. and like looked at things and looked at things and looked at things. I mean, and one of the routes that um, I want to say, let's see Southwest face of Mont Blanc. I can't remember the name of it. it might be the Fanta couloir um, That, in the old guidebook, like no one could ever take a photograph of it when ice was in it. And they did the first ascent. And then the, the, the line was drawn into the guidebook with whiteout, <laughs> like which you would use. If you used to use a typewriter, you would know what that is, but, <laughs> um, but they had to fucking draw the line in because there were no photographs of it in existence Oh wow. of, of it, you know, like, Looking at the face from across the valley from the Trelatet or whatever, um, there was there were no photographs of it ever having. Yeah. But he would just, he would find. I mean, some of the routes that uh, he and Gianni Camino found, it was like, whoa, yeah, um, because they were sensitive because they were exploring because they were like, oh, the window is you know these are the conditions that we need. It's been like that for a couple of days. We should go up there and look and um as opposed to going to do the classic that you know is in yeah because why
3: bother why bother (laughs) yeah i'm on i'm on board with that one yeah (laughs) but try something else yeah i i don't know i mean i think it's got to be a little bit of a generation thing I, i know i sat down with uh vince anderson and i were talking like two years ago and which makes incredible margaritas by the way um and we were talking about it's that one of my favorite humans on the planet. I know he's such a good guy. Yeah. Um and we were talking about that I think we you know climbers today or kind of want the knowledge before they ever leave the car. They want as much knowledge as possible. And I think there's not all I of mean them. we
1: are, as human beings we are efficiency machines, you mm-hmm. know, we're
3: like like
1: trending always towards more efficient action and and but and I think there's a, there is a um, this belief that more knowledge leads to, you know, more capacity, which I don't, you know, or a greater chance of success, which I don't
3: think is necessarily true. No, I don't think so. That's definitely not. Oh, and comfort, I think, the more that they know there's a comfort that's given with that, like they know. But I think it's a, it's, a, it's the illusion of comfort. It's the illusion of comfort. It's like I know 100%. this and
1: therefore I'm safer or mm-hmm. I am more likely to yeah, you know, succeed or something. But I, I, I do think it's, it's, it's illusion. And if you go in with that attitude of the unknown,
3: mm-hmm. yeah, you I actually mean, might
1: be more sensitive.
3: And I think, yeah, you're more, much more sensitive to the surroundings and taking in everything. You're not just like banking on everything that you read
1: or or connect, you know, it's connecting the dots in, in, in a sense of like, Oh, these, this is how these guys did it. So if we want to do it, well, if you want to have the exact fucking experience that they had, then you go do it in the exact conditions in the exact way that they did it. But if you want something different, I mean, necessarily you'll bring some of your own individuality to even an, a, you know, a by rote repetition. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but why aren't you looking for new experiences
3: as opposed to? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's a whole nother. All right, let's switch it. Let's switch it up.
1: Cause I want to, this is something I wanted to sort of chat about. And there's, um, and I'll just say that I, look, I would, I would, if, if conversations could be dedicated to certain people, this is, this is one I would dedicate to Kurt cousins who passed recently. Yeah. Um, it was someone, uh, I had a lot of pretty powerful experiences with, um, and, uh, and, and I would say that, you know, Kurt and I, and I think actually Todd was with us that day that we did what I think is the first climbed What is, was the first frozen waterfall in the South Fork. I mean, it was in the Valley. This is not it's, in the South. It was Fork technically in the Valley. Yes, yeah. <laughs> not really in, in the South Fork as we know it today. Yeah. And, and that was, and, and I was a joke and I think it might be in the forward of, the winter dance book actually where it's like, man, if we had gotten further up the valley, I mean, we were in a Pontiac firebird. So, uh, th- the dirt road that, you know, we'd seen the ice, we drove up the dirt road until the car wouldn't go anymore. And then we hiked for fucking ever. And it just kept this huge thing, just kept getting shorter and shorter. I think as we got closer, um, and, but, but we never got up the road. And I s- s- say that like, if I'd gotten, if we'd gotten further up the road and seen the potential in, I'm guessing, February of '83. Oh God! Um, that you know, my life would have been different. Like, I mean, might never have gotten to the Alps because I might have stayed. Yeah, I think and would have stayed. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because as we joked, I was joking earlier. I'm like, all this for us? Yeah,
3: mine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs>
1: And uh, I'm going to need to sell this pterodactyl. Somebody's going to need to invent some new technology because my knuckles are fucked right now. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, whoever thought a 39-centimeter long ice tool was a good idea? Uh, Oh, God. So that route got done. We never saw more. I ran out of money. The job that Kurt thought he could get me in Cody didn't materialize, unfortunately. Um, And so I just kind of fled back to Seattle. And then we didn't... You know, for the next bunch of years, we were not in contact. And so those are the years, and I don't know when it started. Like,
3: do you have an idea of what the first,
1: you know, like in the what we know now is the South Fork?
3: Yeah, it would have been like, like late 80s. Some stuff started then. Okay. They started kind of figuring out what was there. But I do think there were quite a few years between you guys going up to Carter yeah. and then— People actually going to the valley. Okay. Um, and so it is Carter Mountain. Carter Mountain. That, that, that thing is on. Yep, Carter Mountain.
1: I'm guessing. I mean, I was 21. <laughs> or or no, I was. I if it was no, it was summer. It was 83. So, uh, I would have been. Yeah, I would have been 22. Kurt would have been, I'm I'm just going to go, like, roughly the same age. Yeah. Todd, I can't remember how many years behind.
3: He was a few years behind. A few, I mean,
1: yeah. He was super fucking young yep. when he came up there. So then that plays into it also. Yeah. Uh, um, That maybe there was a few years for, you know, uh, Todd and Kurt to mature, yep. you know, or something, especially in, in climbing, because we were fucking... Hacks, essentially, you know, cause, like I'd seen them. Like, I'm pretty sure if we'd driven up and seen the moratorium, we would have just pissed ourselves and left. Yeah, you know, <laughs> as ambitious as we were, <laughs> I compare whatever we called that thing to, you know, like the big roots that are further up the valley. You know, yeah. what we thought was cool, yeah, um, to what later happened in that era. Then I'm I'm just going to say that Todd and Kurt and and Monty were. Maybe the main instigators?
3: Yeah. And then um, there was one other guy, and I can't remember his name right now. I want to say Jay. Um, Oh, I can't remember his name. And then, because Stan Price didn't start coming in until the early 90s, if I remember right, because he was living in Orland. Yeah. Um, Yes. And then once Stan started figuring out some stuff, and then I think that's when the word got to Alex. Okay, and then I think then, then the 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 festival, if you will, yeah. started be, to become a thing. Was that early '90s, mid '90s timeframe? I feel
1: like barely legal, and the other one. Um, I, I feel like that's '91.
3: Maybe Ooh. I feel like barely legal is more like mid '90s, but yeah, it, it, definitely '90s though, for sure. Okay. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I'm barely sure. legal, legal at last. And then, um, you've got like, yeah, carotid artery. Oh yeah. You know, and that was done. That was filmed in the on ice video. Okay. Yeah. Which has uh, still never been repeated, but out there many times. It's I, absolutely horrible. I, okay. Yeah. I mean, I'm like. I should I, say carotid, moderate, carotid artery mixed, not as a pure ice climb. Okay.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm, I got I think I'm, I, I have to would Say that tackle and Chris Noble and I were up on oversight. I it's got to be ninety three.
3: Yeah, I think. Okay.
1: So it had already been done by mm-hmm.
3: then. Yeah, because it was what I think it was Stan and Alex that did it. If I remember right.
1: Okay. Yeah. I yeah I don't know the remember the the history of it.
3: Uh, Todd's map must have been out.
1: Was it out by then?
3: I think Todd's map was like. I want to say it was ninety six. It's pretty basic. How
1: the fuck did we know to go up there?
3: (laughs) Yeah, well, and I think that's how Alex and and you know, I think Todd, if I remember right, Todd, like he, some of the stuff was just you know, it it was it was it was he wasn't at that quite at that skill yet, skill set, and he was young, you know, so I I think. I don't know if it was, you know, between him and Kurt that, you know, started talking to, to Alex and Conrad and some other the guys and started, you know, you know, and, and you as well. It's like, hey you guys, like there's there's some stuff here. Um because no, it seemed like every time you it's guys... not true that I fucking <laughs> missed the <laughs> I think it was so hard to pull people away from Canada too, right? Like I mean, yeah. When everybody thought of big ice climbs, they thought of Canada. Oh, we got to go to, yeah. Yeah. Why are you going to go to freaking Cody in December? <laughs>
1: you know? Well, because you can get an amazing breakfast at that
3: at our place yeah yep.
1: exactly yeah, <laughs> and you can stay at the Big Bear for like $6 a night or whatever it was I or, think at one point a, it was or, $19, or, or $19 a night $19 yeah that, that seems that feels right
3: yeah, to, I mean to think about that now it's like crazy I don't even think anybody can stay at the Big Bear for less than 90 now probably not is and it still the same I still cin- the same fucking cinder block <laughs> yes. <from the> motel <laughs> yes it is yeah
1: <laughs> I mean it was it was good and then and there was a period in the late 90s when I came up we had this like tradition and I think three years in a row we came up for christmas yeah and one of those i remember we were staying actually in town you know the christmas dinner was from the gas station convenience store because that's what was open (laughs) and we got back too late because i think we had gone to smooth emerald milkshake that day oh or maybe we knew we'd gone up cabin creek
2: okay and
1: done something and we were four people and so it took forever and then uh, got back and then everything had closed, you know, Christmas Eve or whatever it was, it closed. And so it was, so it was like open. fucking meat, meat sticks from the,
3: <laughs> yeah. Cause even when I moved here in 90 in late nineties, yeah. I mean, you showed up in town after six o'clock, everything was closed. Boom. I mean, it's still pretty rough, but it's better than it was. But yeah, I think what people don't see in the guidebook is all of those routes that were done by you guys were pretty much always done within that December timeframe. Yeah. And then I think for a number of those early years, like the, that was kind of the main time that people came to IceCon. And then
1: it's, you know, I think, you, yeah,
3: nobody probably came like, you know, Todd was probably picking off and Kurt, they were probably picking off a couple of random things in January, February, but that was like majority of new routes were going down in that December time frame when the, when the gathering was there. It happened or, or it's just somehow it became this idea of like, that's when you go. Yeah.
1: Um, how long does it stretch? Does the season actually s- stretch? If you're open-minded, you know,
3: and you know Carter's where the first stuff comes in. Yeah. Um. And then like every once in a while, Carter's hit or miss. Some years it's incredible. Mm-hmm. Um. Some years it's just kind of the normal couple of things that are there. I think like two years ago we like we did like four new routes up there. No, five new routes on Carter. Whoa. Yeah. It was just super good early snowfall, right temps. Yeah. You know, it was October. It was great. Um but Carter will come in usually in October. Curtains, okay. which is the one that that you guys climbed. Okay. Um pretty much hands down always comes in before the end of October. Okay. It's a pretty bad year if it's not in by the end of October. Yeah. How
1: long is it? Is it like, and is it is it's over a pitch?
3: Uh, There's like a little mini thing at the bottom Most people don't pitch out But then you got that pitch And you have one more pitch And then like a third pitch A tiny little third pitch But really like I would consider it two pitches Okay That's um, sort of. I
1: feel like it, I, I remember like a pitch and a half too Yeah Maybe two And but... if there was
3: much snow Then the third pitch was probably You looked up at it And you're like Yeah it's not really worth going to Yeah Okay Yeah Yeah That's... And that thing Pretty much every year it's, It comes in It's clockwork It has okay. always the same amount of water and it gets, you know, you climb it early in the season. It's kind of mixy sometimes, real mm-hmm. thin. And then like, and then it just gets absolutely giant by the, you know, February and, there, and, and as it goes on, like no shit. the anchors in early season, when you get on top of that thing, they're at like your chest. Yeah. And I climbed it one time in February and the, the, they were, they were gone. They were, it they just were covered f- in ice. Filled in. Yeah. Yeah. Filled in. So that thing just gets absolutely massive. <laughs> yeah. Just keeps getting and but it you know it, it every year like that thing comes in, water source is always solid. It's on that solid thing. there, yeah, yeah. That and the wig, which was is another thing that's up in there. That's like a more of a water ice five that comes off the wall that you can see from that valley. That's the other one that comes in pretty much every year, and but that one's definitely a little more full value. Yeah. And so,
1: and then does it stretch into late March so or is typically it gets by the too time, warm because it's temperate.
3: Yeah, so typically by the time that gets a bit snowed out a little bit, yeah. the valley kicks in. Okay. And then so you just go to the valley. And then the valley the 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 valley as in the valley that most people know of. Um,
1: B- between London moratorium and, and high on boulder.
3: Yeah. Okay. I mean, April is usually I mean you pretty much find Pretty good climbing into mid April. Wow. Um, you know, depends on the year. Sometimes, <laughs> you know, first of April, things start getting kind of bad. Um, but then there'll be very random cold events that'll happen in April. So like this last season in April, a big cold event came and there's a climb called high noon, which, um, I haven't been able to climb. Um, I think it was, uh, Conrad and somebody that put it up. Um, and it's, it's just like this beautiful two pitch smear that comes off of this wall to the right of main vein. And, uh, I've been up to it. This was my third time and, uh, got up to it. And every time I get up to the damn thing, it's a sunny day. And if it's sunny, it's, it's toast. Okay. It only forms when uh, overcast cold weather and it's got to have some, it's got to have a little bit of melt happening before the cold comes to get the water running. And, uh, yeah, it was it was a no-go. I only I know, um, I think it was Sam Hennessey, maybe it was Seth Tempano. They nabbed it um, a couple of years ago. And uh, I gave them so much shit for not telling me it was in. So, um, But it was funny because I think Todd actually had posted something. And he's like, because he was working up in the valley and it was April. Okay, And I looked at it and I was like, no, I've been to that thing before. That thing's ready to fall down. And uh, those guys hopped in the car with a hope and they hit it on a cloudy day and it was still cold and they were able to tiptoe their way up that damn thing. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, you know, uh, that's kind of the fun part about that place is like just chasing those little smears that will just kind of come and go, Yeah, you know, um, but yeah, it's a long season. Yeah. I mean, and especially if you open it up past the valley and start looking at other places in the beartooths and... Um, it can be a really long season. This is probably the shortest season I've had because last year, I think we went ice climbing September 15th at the I, uh, yeah, yeah. I just
0: somehow feel like... Yeah.
3: Like I can usually I pull was, a September I, out of my hat. Um, With just watching the right temperatures, watching everything, I can usually get a pull of September somewhere with that first kind of cold front, little s- snow that hits. But uh, this year yeah. that just never happened. So... But you know, I mean, the the nice thing about with the the with the guidebook that I'm working on is it will open up so much more than what's in the valley. I mean, because what's in Winter Dance, like even Carter Mountain. So Carter Mountain was in, we had wrote it. Yeah, it was all like, going to be in Winter Dance, and Georgia just ran out of, we just ran out of pages. Okay, and so Carter just got cut, it got cut out, um, which is and and I mean
1: Winter Dances, it it covers. A, a wide geographic area. Oh, yeah. I mean, Cody's only a part of it. It's not specific to this mm-hmm. and the, and the book that you're working on at this point. Bighorn is... basin. Okay.
3: So anything that flows out of the Bighorn basin. So, um, which is quite a large area. That's... Um, but thankfully there's only, you know, the Cody scene is really where the majority of that ice is at, but yeah. you, you start to look beyond the South Fork Valley and the North Fork Valley and the Clarks Fork Valley and some stuff in the Bighorns. So it'll really open up people's eyes to what else is out there, which I think timing wise, the South Fork's ready for it because the South Fork's definitely starting to get some traffic. It's still nothing like other places. Um, it's very unique though. And a lot of wildlife and wintering grounds. And so we got to be careful with that, but I think it would be good to really kind of separate people out a little disperse bit. The, the pressure a yeah. little. Yeah. Especially um, from those classics of high on Boulder and, the mean greens, you know, the ones that seem to have just lines on them. You know, yeah. I, mean, I mean, gosh, I was at Bitches Brew on Sunday and I pulled up in the Deer Creek parking lot. And I was like, Man, it was first time I've ever seen, like, sometimes maybe there's a car there. Yeah. But there was, like, I think four other cars. And I was like, surely not everybody's going to the same climb. And uh, sure enough. <laughs> There was a party climbing ahead of us. There was another party waiting for them to go. And then there was a party in queue waiting. And then there was us. Um, But thankfully we were going to the mixed stuff really. So they were going to do the pure ice stuff, but you have to climb the main ice thing to get to the mixed area that's up there. But I mean, I was, I've never, that's, that might've been the most people I've ever seen in the South fork in one spot in all of my time. So
1: I am kind of chuckling. like, Four cars.
3: Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you had was, to wait just thirty minutes to get on the it, ice climb. Yeah, oh. exactly. Yeah. Now <laughs> well, you know been a little.
1: Uh... I mean, I'm not going to say spoiled because yeah. you know, but it is. It it it, it takes you know it's different character. It's something because this is a fitness podcast, ostensibly. <laughs> Uh when did you start sort of applying like have you always trained in the weight room? No for ice and mix climbing
3: Mm-mm. I don't think I started actually doing any kind of weight training until two thousand eight maybe okay um, but I wouldn't say I was doing it seriously until probably two thousand ten. And then I don't, I wasn't actually spending any time on my tools until probably 2014.
1: Like time on tools in an artificial in a, environment. In an artificial environment. Yeah. Yeah.
3: And that was, that was. And did that. That was what, a game changer.
1: Did, and that's, so that specificity. uh yeah. So it increases, it it improves the transferability of whatever strength that you develop in the gyms. if, if you are training the the contact points essentially. And the,
3: yeah. And for me, it was, I started to get into a routine of when the season was on, there was no training because those two or three days that I was climbing, I would pretty much max out that effort. Yeah. And so then it would be, you know, four days off or whatever. And then, um, I would start my training typically at the end of April. So May was kind of like, all right, back to the gym, back to the work. Okay. And then I would do, I would hit that gym pretty hard until usually December. So I would kind of pushed myself a little bit into the climbing season a little bit because, um, I don't know, I felt like it it was good to keep that training going just a little bit further until I could feel... The recovery lacking, lacking. Yeah, yeah. Cause there's just it, I wasn't able to recover anymore. Um, but uh, so, yeah, May is kind of typically when I would turn it on, um, which is probably opposite for a lot of people. It seems early. It's a little early, um, but I wouldn't spend any time with the tools. So I mean, I would, okay. I would try to stay off the tools then. Um, try to keep from having any type of overuse injuries. Yeah. So yes, it was much more yes. of the you know strength training. Um, and then as summer kind of kicked in, then really, it would be a little bit more endurance training, um, doing a lot more running, um, uh, moving in the, the hills. Some of that,
1: um, endurance, you know, the added endurance training, I mean, we talked about this a little earlier about, okay, what's the, what for you and the types of routes that you wanted, the very specific sort of demands are the routes that you want to do. Um, and you were talking about, okay, I have an ideal weight <laughs> and part of that ideal weight. I mean, when we, you know, anybody thinks about it, it it's um it has to do with you know sort of applying maximum power to you know i gotta move the i gotta move the engine so the engine has to produce maximum horsepower at a minimum weight um but then also you come in you start developing this relationship with recovery as you mentioned, and yeah there's an I could be at an ideal weight for performance that also does not allow me to recover and <laughs> Maybe a little bit, you know, heavier, a bit more physical resources on board to help me recover during those, you know, the, the four days that I do have off. Um, is that something that, you know, over th- all of these years that you've noticed when you've like done a bunch of endurance to either, you know, mitigate too much mass gain or you did the endurance in order to, uh, Im- you know, improve recoverability?
3: yeah I think, um before I really started running a lot, I was getting a lot of mass, okay. and I think I was getting into the, like getting close to like one eighty, and I could feel that weight, especially at that time. I was really wanted to be strong at hard mix climbing, which meant hanging upside down, yeah and That's where I started feeling that weight and that bulk, but to be able to move was just not like, it was not good. You feel like some, some flexibility Flexibility, uh, disappeared with increased mass? Yep. Flexibility was kind of going away and I could just, I felt, I felt strong, but I felt heavy at the same time. Okay. Yeah. Um, And I think when, and I also, I think I started to see that my, my, the objectives and the things that I was wanting to go after were further in the mountains and that I wasn't fit enough on the cardio side that I needed to be so you know if I was going to go do you know 3 to 4 hours of hiking and climbing and then game on you know 4 to 5 hours into your day of of input it was like fuck I don't it's not here tanks only at 60% yeah um and so that's when running and, you know, skier and rower and those things really started playing a role in my training because I was like, I need, I need, I, I, I it, been able to deadlift a certain weight or whatever it was. I remember at one point, like having a 400 pound deadlift was like, that was my goal. Yeah. I think at one point maybe it was like a, it was a, I think John free was telling me like, that's where you, that's, you know, for your weight, that's where you should, that threshold you should get. So I was like, oh, I'm going to get to there. But I remember when I got there, I was like, I got there, but then I'm like, man, I, feel like shit climbing <laughs> and <laughs> you know? it's,
1: and th- there's you know there's a certain amount of risk that you know look i'd rather spend my risk elsewhere not in the gym
3: yeah and you know
1: deadlift like i can get the benefits of deadlifting without in you know because of the stress that 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 particular lift applies to the body, you are going to gain a certain amount of mass and also in, in areas that will not be useful for climbing. I mean like yeah. a thicker trunk. Yeah. Not helpful, mm-hmm. you know, necessarily like I'd, I, 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 and I mean, it's been, it's, it's fascinating because um, the, 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 the sort of training journey for, you know, these things and thinking about, you know, okay, we thought this was true that, I mean, it's just, I'll just say it's just like COVID misinformation we thought this was true and then based on experience we found out that it wasn't yeah. and at least in the fitness space and at least you know my organizations that I've been involved with we've been able to admit that we were wrong which is <laughs> apparently not such a like a thing today um, <laughs> how and, dare and you it, I mean, it, it's crazy it just but it seemed like the best way to actually make progress and yeah. tell people to stop doing what we had mistakenly told them to do and then it, you know said hey based on on the edge, you know, okay, I can get the same amount of strength, but without the negative benefits by using different movements or by, you know, uh, um, focusing on different time under tension or maybe doing it more you know like reducing the amount of time under tension and increasing the explosives explosivity and and demanding more neurological you know the ability to like if you think about you know sort of hard mix climbing or even hard sport climbing it's like the ability to turn on that strength in the instant that you hit the hold is not a you know it has nothing to do with a slow grinding effort for you know maximum you know (laughs) moving a weight off the ground yeah. for a pretty short distance. And like, and you got to train yourself to turn, do you know, to, to, to turn on all the strengths when you hit it? Like, okay, yeah. I get the thing. I just have to like be able to almost turn on whole body tension, you know, from this point of, okay, I have moved dynamically. There's a point of relax, you know, where everything is kind of relaxed and then has to, you know ultimately recontract mm-hmm. I think it's a really specific type of training and it'd be fun I mean it would be it would have been awesome if doing you know whatever the fuck in the gym um, would produce a certain amount of strength and you could you could apply that strength to this pretty technical sensitive finesse dependent yeah Uh, you know, uh, a task that also demands a really high level of contraction, like close to at at certain points. Yeah. Close to, you know, one rep max level of contraction, even if it's just to like hit the hold, hold hold it and then reset and do something else. But there's points. um, I mean, I think it's a really wild and specific thing, especially at the end of like you said, you know, you're five or six hours into your day. It's cold. You got to manage the calorie and hydration, you know, calorie intake yeah. and hydration to get there so that you can operate it, you know, maybe 90% of the capacity that you developed down in the valley up there.
3: Yeah. And I think the eating and the and the fluids was a big one for me because when I started climbing, the guy that taught me how to climb would, we would go out with, you know, one analogy between the two of us for a whole day and like one bar or something, you know, like, so for years, that's what I was used to. And so I started having to figure out like, oh, that's not, that's not how you do this. <laughs> like actually. I mean, it can't, you
1: can, you can, well.
3: You can. <laughs> I, I was going to say you
1: can't. The only part the, the 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 calorie efficiency part, you can train the water efficiency part. You can't No, Like the hydration thing is like, that's a, that is a, in my opinion, it's, it is a, you know, uh, incontrovertible truth yeah, that you need to keep drinking. Yeah. As far as caloric intake, I think yeah. we can get real efficient with the resources that we have. Yeah. Um, or, you know, I've been relying on too much, you know, you know, m- too many mutant examples <laughs> potentially. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah. I mean, and even today I don't, I don't like, I don't, I don't eat much. Um, but I know I need to eat more because every time I eat more, I do, I typically feel better. I don't know that I feel stronger, but I feel better. Okay. Um, but Cody is such a different place and that, that cardio is so incredibly important. And it's yeah. the one thing that I think people forget about, you know, is that cardio piece. Like, sure. If you're going to your A, there's no cardio needed,
1: you know, like, unless you want to recover Within the effort and then overnight from the sure. effort. I mean, it yep. is absolutely necessary. Yeah, It's just not seen as such. Not seen as such. such. Yeah, yeah. That's
3: a good point. Yeah. I, and so I think through, I, I mean, I feel like I'm still learning. I feel like I'm still learning from so. what, what's, what's what I can do, what I can't do. And, and obviously with the injury I had this year and figuring out how to navigate that. Mm-hmm. Um And then, uh, now, I'm, you know, uh, last I weighed myself, I was under 160. And so I do feel lighter. I don't feel like I've lost strength. My mental piece isn't as strong there because of the injury, but otherwise, everything else seems to be kind of okay. Um, other than I don't, I definitely don't have that feeling that the gym gets you when you're in the gym and you're in there training. But, I also don't normally, I'm not normally in the gym this time of year. So it's like, you know, get over it. Even though you didn't have that from your injury, you didn't have that gym time that you missed out on, like figure out how to adapt. And and that's not the crutch that you need right now.
1: And we did talk earlier uh, about the influence of strength development in the gym or in an artificial situation. um, And the influence that that has on the, you know, your psychology is it? I think it's a really that like, if you can't go climbing because you know, it's early season, how do you convince yourself that you're fit for climbing? Yeah. Like, and maybe there's some arbitrary numbers in the gym or some strength, you know, sort of tests, measurements, something that, that we have. But I think a lot of, you know, the, the, some of the value of, training in the artificial environment is the, 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 the psychological carry over to like, Oh, I am strong. Yeah. Like I believe in, and, and even if it's not a hundred percent transferable to the task, you know, a good if, mental state can carry you pretty long. Yeah.
3: If it's a hundred percent transferable to the mind, well, that's pretty darn good. Yeah. You know, I mean, I've always said like, yeah, I mean, ice climbing is, and I'm sure in other sports, ice climbing is 50% physical strength and the other 50% is mental strength, you know? And without that mental piece, you know, I don't think I've ever stood at the base of a root and been like, I don't know. I think I can do this and been successful. You know, <laughs> it's just never worked out that way. You know, it was like, no, I'm good. Like this is going to go down and I know it will. And, and then it's successful, but yeah, if your mind's not a hundred percent there at the base, like, man, probably not, not a good place to go up if you're not a hundred percent in on it. Um, Damn. so <laughs> I, yeah, it's just how it's been for me for years. I just, I just, I know when it's, I know when that's time and I know when it's not that time. Yeah. You know,
1: let's, let's say that you've, you know, you've done the three, three to four hour approach and you get to the thing and it's not the day. Mm. Are you, pretty good at recognizing that it's not the day or do you like it is there a sunk cost fallacy of oh. you know sort of like oh man i'm already up here man It's fucking took so long to get up here i don't want to do that hike again you know or is it and, and you, you try anyway and
3: yeah and you're <laughs> saying it's not the day because of the conditions
1: i don't know whatever the thing you look at the bottom you stand at the bottom of them and, and go mm-hmm. i think i can do this can you go well i I, to actually do it, I need to know that I can do it. And if all I can, and if, and if I'm here and I look at it and I'm feeling a certain way and all I, all I can come up with is I think I can do it. Do you turn, do you switch it off at that point? I guess is the, is the question.
3: I mean, Um, I, 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 I would love to say that I can, and I probably have, but I think I can think of more examples where I didn't. Um, I, when I did, uh, when I did the gambler, I was at that thing th- three times. The first time, there was no way I was going to try it. it. Was it was there's nobody was going to try it at that point. It was a tiny little pillar, and okay, and this pillar, if you can imagine, is this was, a, this is a Alex root. No, this is this is, a, this is a me root. Okay, it's just tiny little pillar that goes into a roof, and then there. Oh, at the okay. time when I, I remember when see, I yes. sent it. It's got like two other daggers that then you have to get onto because it's basically this thing formed. It broke. Born again it broke and it kind of does it every year
1: and each time it forms it's in a slight it, it's in a slightly, s- different, slightly spot. different spot yeah. yeah
3: and so you have to climb this little pillar and then hop onto these other daggers and actually in order to get out of this thing and uh the second time i went up with these guys and uh i didn't really know very well but i i was Dragging somebody along because that was the only person i could find and uh we got there later sometimes in the
1: day. as scott says availability is more important than ability yes
3: <laughs> in this case I, absolutely yeah and uh <laughs> it was pouring with water and i remember the water's only on the pillar so i get up this pillar as fast as i can and then get to the other daggers i'll be out of that water um but turned out i got to the base of that pillar and was completely soaked near hypothermic like so soaked I could feel the water in my boots <laughs> you know and so I plugged these yeah. three screws in lowered off and that was when I discovered the walk-off for that climb for uh, the trip ditch drainage because I was like I told these guys I was like I gotta get moving like otherwise mm-hmm. this is gonna be bad I can't do the four or five repels back down the car yeah <laughs> like I gotta figure out how to get the hell out of here and I'd already kind of had it in my mind so um took off and then i was like okay i now i need to get there earlier before the water starts flowing so i think it was four days later and i was in my mind i was like i'm gonna like just race to the top of this thing i've got three screws they're gonna be so bomber when i get up there i'll just race up and i clip those nice bomber anchors and then i'll set off through this thing and i remember getting up there and the screws i just pulled them out they just you know it was it was late. It was late, you know, late in March, you know, and those that, that you know that steel had just you know just radiated the heat right off, and they just yep. pulled them right out, and uh, and it, it ended up going. But I, you know, that's a time where I was my confidence was probably like I mean, yeah, that third attempt it all worked out, but the second attempt I should have just walked away, yeah, you know. But I had to learn that I had to learn.
1: But it. But also, I think there is a something also there that like with with roots that are hard and new. I mean, hard enough to demand everything from you to to, to potentially demand more of you than you think or believe you have. Yeah. Like it takes time to figure out how to do them. Oh, yeah. Like, it's not like you're going to walk up on the first day, uh, you know, walk into the unknown, look at the thing, figure it out and do it. I mean, it's if if you can do that, it's not a difficult route. Yeah. Again, it's not going to be it's not a route that's hard enough to change you or hard enough to teach you something. Mm hmm and i think the spending that time figuring out how to do it is part of developing the confidence yeah of like oh now i've 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 done away with several steps of uncertainty that you know that weighed a lot inside me mm-hmm. um by and not necessarily rehearsing but just by exposure
3: yeah and i think i was always really good at trying to choose the things that I could be successful at. I wasn't very good at projects. Okay. So it always
1: now the, like rehearsing. Yeah. I was very really good at that. Or yeah.
3: if I knew a particular thing, I would just kind of like, I'll just put that over here until I know that until I confident that the day I stand below it, I'll get it. Okay. Um, and I got, I've gotten very lucky in a lot of the, you know, and chasing new routes. I've gotten very, very lucky when I found them. I was always able to climb them or figure it out or, you know, that mix section, I didn't know how hard it was. So I was able to figure it out or whatever, but, um, you know, one of the things that, that I was always really impressed with, was Scott Adamson is his willingness to just throw him at, throw himself at stuff. (sighs) Even if he knew it was above his pay grade, he knew it was, he would just, he would still do it. And there was a route that I really kind of, uh, dedicated to him in the Valley, which is this thing that I'd seen for a long time. And it was, it's got this giant, like 30 foot roof, you know, it's, it's really freaking hard Whoa! Um, upside down, you know, it's up to this dagger. And, and I was just like freaking bolt, like I needed bolted. And I was like, but I never wanted to do it. Cause I was like, I'm not, I'm not there. And so, yeah, I just like, I, you know, after Scott passed, I was like, it's for you, dude. Like, and so I've been working towards that, been able to send that thing. It turns out it's like going to be like probably M13. Um okay. And then, uh, so that one's, been on my list for a bit Um, and then Scott let us left us another nugget in the valley that he had bolted. It's the only line that he had bolted in the valley. And I think Scott never came back because he knew like how sketchy it was. And I remember when he told me, he's like, yeah, there's, you know, there's like one to two bolts you might want to replace (laughs) and turned out like two of the bolts he had connected together with webbing Mm -hmm. because one of them was into this giant block. And the giant block, like, he would describe it as, yeah, it's a big block. No, we're talking, like, a giant block. Like, I do not want a bolt being tied to another bolt if it's clipped to that giant bolt, to that giant block. But anyways, um, you know, uh, some of the um, new guys that are in town have kind of been going after that thing. And I went up with them actually a a week or so ago, and we've been kind of replaced a couple of bolts you know um but it's it's uh it's gonna be mega but scott had a vision for this thing and so it's been good for me to try to put myself into that like projecting because i've just never been good at a projector and uh yeah scott i think i think that one's gonna scott's gonna live on on that one for a while i think because it's it i'm assuming it's it's m14 hard okay i'm gonna start with two ropes because of the, the roofs that it goes through and they're all sharp. So after like, it's like the fifth clip. Yeah. You actually throw down the other rope and then go on to the other rope. <laughs> uh, and then continue on. And I think there might be another roof or maybe that has to happen again. I don't know yet, but Whoa. it's, it's, a, it's yeah. kind of a, it's kind of a scary one. Um, but, uh, it's, it's, it's so cool that, you know, to force yourself to do that. Um, because it was just something I was never very good at. Yeah, But he was very good at that. Oh. <laughs> Again, I think there's a reason he never returned to go back on that route. But uh knowing Scott, I'm sure he's kind of chuckling over that one. Like, <laughs> you guys are really trying to climb that damn thing? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I figured I could trick you guys into going <laughs> there, over
1: yeah cleaning the choss off for me yeah yeah and is that yeah. big block still a, a factor or did has we, it been pried off at this point
3: took that bolt out that okay. bolt is gone and there's another bolt that's placed over to the side of that now okay yeah so that's gone
1: when were the like first
3: bolts placed in the valley the first bolts that i can remember would have been curtains had Bolts on it and a bolted anchor, but as far really? as
1: okay, so like an anchor, but yeah, but I, an I mean, anchor as mm-hmm. far
3: as bolted, the first bolted mix route that I think was ever done was probably when I bolted Hostile Takeover, okay, which ultimately those bolts ended up at the bottom of the creek bed on the same boulder on the massive boulder.
1: Uh, So they were in a boulder And the boulder
3: They were on a massive roof That I would have I would have Bet everything I have That that thing would Would never have gone anywhere And one year we walked up there And looked up And because In the book If anybody looks at Winter Dance Hostile Takeover Is considered Water Ice 5 Yeah It's no longer It's not Water Ice 5 anymore The giant roof That the pillar would form Completely slipped off And went down the drainage and so that thing wasn't really forming much. So I'm like, Oh, this is a really cool mixed route. And it had these beautiful natural pockets, you know? So it was like, Oh man, this is great. Like you don't find these natural pockets up here. Yeah. And uh, so we ended up, yeah, we bolted it. <clears throat> and I think it was the next year that somewhere in the springtime it, it fell down cause we came up that winter and sure enough there's this giant boulder, you know, 340 yards down the drainage. And one of my bolts was sitting there unscathed like, wow. And you, and I, I, I I think I had, I left it there and some people were like, why? I wonder why somebody asked me, I've had a couple people like, why is why are there bolts on this boulder? Like, why? Like I was like, well, that boulder used to be somewhere 500 (laughs) feet up and was kind of an essential, but uh, yeah. So I think that was probably the first bolted mixed route in the valley. And then since then there's many others, Sure. That yeah. we've been able to put up um, and, and that's where really like When we talk about fitness Like that's where I really started to be like Oh well, I gotta like I going to climb you know The
1: toil of establishing new roots <laughs> Yeah like
3: I mean When we started When I bolted the thing back and, and Bitches Brew You know you're talking I think it's three and a half miles in You're climbing ice to get to it And mm-hmm. then you gotta climb the, the The pillar to get up above it And then wrap into it And you know I was in there I think I spent five days before I sent that thing, um, bolting it, cleaning it. And, uh, now there's, now there's more roots in there. I like think we spent, we spent a lot more. We, we'd have just bolted into the evening. Um, we just start a fire and we'd switch off bolting, uh, Dane and I, because it was like, I don't want to walk in here another day. Like, just just stay here till whatever it is. Yeah. Work, you know, keep drilling the and cleaning until the drills, they got no more battery and then we'll head out. But like, just because it gets dark doesn't mean we should stop, but we didn't figure that out until later on, you know, they just keep, keep on doing it. Um, but, uh, I think that the mixed potential in the Valley is still quite incredible, but it's also a matter of like, how far are you willing to take that drill? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, and there's some pretty amazing things. And I think there's also the rock is quite suspect in places and figure out where it's good, where it's bad. I mean, I think that the, the best thing that bolts have done to the Valley is clean the Valley up. And that's because of all the tat, you know, I think people were, you know, even still today, I still see people putting V threads in with cord, but you know, I mean this, you walk up high on Boulder, you walk up any of those in the springtime. I mean, I can fill a trash bag full of tat. Yeah. It's not hard. Um, so putting bolts in, in some of those places is really key to keep, you're not filling a bag full of
1: electrical conduit though. So
3: I did find some of those early on, though. No shit. Especially the old um, the military screws. Do you remember? You ever seen those? It's basically a conduit with a hanger on it, no is all shit. it is. There's no threads, but they were super long. And it would pound those in, and you would clip this, like, you know, makeshift hanger and, and wrap, wrap off on. of that. Yeah. No threads, though. You just hammered that thing in. Yeah. So. I think I still have a couple uh, in that's, my uh, gear closet. That's
1: that's pretty wild. Yeah. I mean, I just I remember, like, I don't know, Canadian Rockies springtime wind chimes. You know, like, you oh. just go because conduit was how you got off roots oh, then. Yeah. And then they'd just be at the bottom of the drainage. You could go get it. And,
3: I mean, it was like 16 cents a foot.
1: <laughs>
3: Compared to, you know, whatever. Were you just <laughs> hooking them then? you just throw the rope around it.
1: Oh yeah, or or girth, hit, you know, clove hitch oh, okay. a sl- sling and put the and, oh, and, gotcha. and uh, put the rope through the sl- you know, okay. through the sling. Huh. I mean, a brave soul. I mean, like hammered in at the right angle. I guess you could just put the rope over it. Yeah. <laughs>
3: That might be kind of sketchy, but... Uh, that feels sketchy, man. <laughs> yeah, that feels kind of sketchy. I'd like to at least have it through something. Although, I don't know that it's a whole lot different than going off that sling, but I mean, on, it's not going to slip up, I guess. Fucking power of a clove hitch, man. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah.
1: Hey, let me circle back to this idea, because something that we talked about a little bit um, earlier, and you mentioned it, you know, having, having an injury, um, you know, a certain amount of rehab, and then, and this is something that I, I, I feel like we've talked about on the nonprofit podcast before, but like getting like the injuries healed physically, let's say, mm-hmm. and, and, and maybe in your case, you know, one of the docs was like, I'm not going to do any more damage and <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's done. It's, it's, you know, it's, as, it's as healed as it's going to be or whatever. Um, or if it's an injury that you've been dealing with for a long period of time, um, and then maybe finally get something done about it. Uh, you still have to heal the, the psychological habit of being injured,
3: yeah, which is sometimes f- far worse than the actual physical damage.
1: Um, oh, there's no program for it. Mm-mm. I mean, I think that's the uh, um. I, I think that's like one of the interesting things about it is like there's, oh yeah, you did all the re, the physical rehab because that's prescribed by doctors and supposedly known and you know okay if, if this then this, um, but then if you've depending on how damaging the injury was, how much it prevented you from doing the activity that also you know formed formed and supports your identity, um so depending on its effect it uh, uh, or duration then there's like a psychological aspect of it that we never address as human beings. Like, and no, we're not thinking about it, but you astutely sort of just self-identified um yeah. th- th- this idea of like, I think physically it's fine, but I'm
3: just not
1: believing in it.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's no training program for that. I mean, at I- least I haven't figured it out.
1: Nor have I, but now suddenly it's just like that's the thing, we, Michael, we need to sit down and talk, you know, like think about this and, and talk about like, okay, you know, taking a test, doing a physical training intervention, retaking the test, seeing if the training that you did, yeah. you know, improved the test score. Um, And, you know, maybe there, maybe that's something like if I can do this I'm good to you know I give myself permission to you know yeah. that I'm good to go
3: yeah it's almost I wonder if to build that confidence back up is and what I have done is trying to go right back to that same level of where I was what felt comfortable then has only continued to knock me down Okay, so I think for me trying to take it down a couple of notches and then build that back up is probably the answer. Cause I can think of,
1: I feel like continued negative reinforcement
3: <laughs> is not the answer. So yeah. how about something different? <laughs> but even at that, it's still hard. Cause you're like, mm. I was here. Oh, well, yeah, I was here. But we, we only
1: remember ourselves at our best. Yeah, that's true. Right. Like,
3: yeah, even
1: be, you know, not doing an activity forever. And then doing it again, there is, you know, a, an emotional anchor to ourselves at our best. Yeah. I, I mean, up to a certain point, and then you then you don't do the activity for a really long time, and then it's like you're starting over. Yeah. You leave your helmet in the car. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh,
3: we won't go there. No. Uh, I think it was three weeks ago or whatever, we went up to the rodeo cave, which is a dry tooling area, and there's an M10. And I got on and I actually f- felt pretty good. Okay. And I was like, oh, I'm back in the game. And then I went and did something else that was less than that. Um, and just felt, I don't know, I just felt horrible. And so I felt oh. like it took, it took me a 10 steps back, you know? And I, I think there was a whole lot of other things that were going on. Okay. Um, during that day, which I, I'm not giving myself any benefit for. Okay. Um, yeah, but it's still the mental, the mental toll was already there. I already, you know, already, already took that deposit and, or, or, or yeah. <laughs> <that> yeah. <debit. laughs> and, uh,
1: I think you, like, if you're trying to, man, you know, manipulate your own psychology, you've got to protect your progress. You've got to protect your, the positive nature of the feedback that you're getting. Because as you said, you know, like man, if I had just stopped after that M10 thinking I'm, you know, kind of back in the game, that would have been a net positive outcome for the day. And then whatever happened following that, then you go, Oh, well, now I'm 10 steps back and you're suddenly you're believing in yourself even less than you did when Mm -hmm. you walked up there. Um, I think those are the kind of mistakes that, I mean, they're accidents in a, in, in a way, but, um, you're mature enough now, man. <laughs> you know, to, to realize, okay, I got the positive feedback. I mean, and um, there's a really beautiful friend of mine, like a guy who was in charge of uh the Australian National Track Cycling Program. And he came to Park City, gave a lecture, a friend of ours took notes on the whole thing and then distributed it amongst us because he thought this was like a really good learning points. And one of the things the guy said is that A trainee, if they come in and they hit a personal best, they're done for the day. Like he just sent him home. Hmm. And I'm like, what the fuck? And he goes, look, we've already like done incredible psychological reinforcement. Let us not take the risk that we can overwrite that with something less, something worse, something negative. Um, And then the flip side of that was like, we've set up standard, you know, a, a particular task for the day. If somebody comes in and they can't meet the standard, especially if we're trying to, you know, to to the the point of the day is, you know, power and explosive power. If they can't hit the level, they also get sent home. Because I know immediately that whatever training we do that day will not be um, produce a power or explosive power result. We'll Hmm. just be training fatigue resistance or something else, something less than. I'm like, Oh, these are really interesting metrics and the discipline that it takes to, 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 to do that in, a, in any kind of training session. I'm, um, I mean, especially with the, you know, okay. The development these day, you know, in, in the last 20, you know, I'll go 17 years, 18 years, whatever. Um, where, you know, the training itself has become a competitive process. It's really hard to have the self-discipline to, like on the day realize I'm not at the level I got to, I should do something else. Yeah. And I should only try to train this, this particular characteristics when I actually have the level. And if I come in and I surpass the level, I also got to quit. That hmm. almost has to be enforced by someone outside of the individual yeah. or that individual is really mm. mentally very, very, yeah. Uh, in control.
3: In control. Yeah. Cause and that's ooh, that's going to be hard, right? Because I, I feel like I'm I'm only as good as my last effort. And that's just how I judge myself. So, yeah, sure. if I could have somebody that was like, oh, no, I know you want to go do that route, but now you're going to go do this route. Sure, yeah. that'd be helpful. I mean, I'm pretty goddamn stubborn too, so whether I'd listen would be another. But I, mean, I think I'm also at the point where I'm like,
1: I'll just say that my organization specializes in contests of stubbornness. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and I think that
3: I'm at that point where I feel like it, it. Unless I actually have some structure and a plan, then I'm gonna pretty much, who knows, I'll battle this to the end of the season. I mean, you, you
1: know? might get, and, and on the other hand, you might, you know, get, get lucky and overcome it and get back to the to the point, and and that. May be either the best or the
3: worst thing that could happen. Exactly. And I think <laughs> that is like the hidden pot of gold. Like, but Mark, I could go climb that route and it could be awesome. And that could be what I need to trigger me yeah. for everything else. Yes. And then it's all behind me. Now, but
1: again if you look at that if if you look at it like that you you are in a sense you're rolling the dice. Oh, absolutely. And then you have to be absolutely willing to accept the opposite outcome of yeah uh you, you know uh, of the pot of gold. You know it's just like all right we're taking a pot of gold yeah. you know instead of you know giving you one or whatever. Yeah I gave or, the pot of
3: gold at yeah, that point. Yeah. 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 It it took and, more away.
1: And so and, and you know again I don't I, As we talked about, I don't know what the, what the answer to this is, but at least identifying the perils of, of just like randomly trying to Mm -hmm. overcome this issue. Um, I mean, you identify the dangers, it's easier to, you know, or it becomes possible to map a way around them. 10 steps back.
3: You don't want that to happen too many times. No, because eventually you just stop trying to step forward. Yeah you know, and I think, uh, yeah, there's a whole lot of danger that happens there, but, um, I, yeah, I, I I think my struggle is because I've never really had an injury before that's hit me like this. Yeah, And it's two years because I guess last year I had my hands falling asleep and that was a pretty bad problem, especially when they're falling asleep on lead. Um, you know, kind of a kind of a bad situation. Um, I mean, and if you then, just had leashes on those tools, yeah, it, would, yeah, it wouldn't just, matter. Yeah, yeah. Just hang. Just hang. Uh, <laughs> but then this year with, 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 you know, uh, blowing my long head bicep tendon, it was like, oh man, this is, yeah, this is, this is, this is real. And this is something that's not going to be fixed in a couple of weeks. Like, and that's kind of what I want. What I wanted was that quick fix. of Yeah. You know, all right, it's broke, well then let's, you know, we're gonna leave it, so just leave it and let's move on. But it's a little bit more complicated than that. You know? Turns out the body is complicated. <laughs> and uh doesn't really like just some floating, you know, tendon. Random loose in the shoulder. <laughs> yeah. Weird. Um you know, and I think I, I also feel a thing for me too, of like being an athlete in the sport, like I also I, I think you weigh the injury. And I also weigh the expectation that I believe other people have on me. Yeah. And when you tie those two things together, that the ex- weight gets really wait, heavy.
1: The expectation that they have on you or the expectation <laughs> you have about their expectations of you.
3: That is exactly it. Yes. <laughs> yes. All of those. Uh, yes. <laughs> all of the expectations. I don't know, but I'm going to say you all know. of them. <laughs> yeah. Um,
1: Which is a wild thing in, in, in know. the sense of being a, um, because you do have commercial relationships related to climbing yeah, and you know, you have the guidebook coming out and, and, you know, cold fear has been an idea and a, and a, a an entity, if you will, um, for, a, you know, a long period of time. And I think anytime you have these commercial relationships, you're like, well, these people believe in me, I don't want to let them down. Those commercial relationships are, are, you know, they're not without influence Mm -hmm. being a public, you know, public figure in a client, you know, (laughs) know, in an athletic community of any kind is not without influence, you know, upon our behavior. And it takes some time, but eventually, you know, we recognize it. You just set out, right. You know, other people's expectations of me because I've put myself out there because I am, um, a, you know, a prominent individual within this, you know, community with, participating in this particular activity and um it's a fucking (laughs) like really complicated you know internal and external conflict to be you know to to have and be involved in but ultimately it's you know I, i look at it and you go yeah you might not you know you might not get that m13 this year yeah um do you want to keep trying it at the risk of long-term physical, psychological injury? I mean, this is the old paranoid guy talking, right? Like and I've been injured a bunch and been through, you know, a bunch of that stuff. And, and, you know, looking backwards, I'm like, man, I was never playing the long game. Hmm. And so I demanded more of my body at the time than it could sustain. Yeah, It obeyed me and helped me do a lot of great things. And then, you know, later the rent came due. Yeah, And uh, I'll say many of the hardest routes of my career, um, I was in a shoulder rehab, prehab, like constant battle from uh, injury in... In a rock gym, I'm getting am It was like late '92 or early '93, <laughs> and never got it fixed. Never got it fixed until the only thing that was holding it together was were the biceps tendons, and when those ripped in October of 2006, then I eventually had to go get it fixed. But all of, like I said, all of the you know the hardest routes that I did were, you know under conditions of me doing these fucking shoulder exercises every day because I refused to have surgery because I didn't want to be out for so long because I expected a certain level of performance from myself. I needed to fulfill my own self image that, um, also was the image that others had, you know, reflected back to me from me. I mean, it was a super complicated relationship that, you know, ended up paying for in some way, like what maybe could I have done if I had taken the time to get it fixed, you know? And, um, and then if I'd behaved better after I got it fixed, would I have had to have it repaired again? Yeah. Uh, let's see, 2006, then 18. I mean, it, it hung in for, you know, 12 years. It's pretty good. Before, you know, I, before, I complete. To, before I had to go back and get it re, you know, rebuilt again. But you know, the decisions that we make in the moment, cause there's, you know, we, we are our habits. We are our ambitions and, and you know, a lot, oftentimes there's not someone there to say differently. Yeah. And can we, and if they did say differently, could we hear them? Eh, maybe not, you know, depends on the age, depends on the, <laughs> depends on the age and the context, yeah. you know, and the, in the type of thing for sure. But, um, I don't think it's like disappearing from your grasp. Right, like I, in in the sense of like I think you could take a little bit more time to strengthen both you know let's strengthen the physical aspect and the psychological aspect so that you can get over the lack of belief in it. Yeah.
3: And I, I think every year since I've started climbing, I've felt I've always felt stronger and stronger and stronger. You know, and uh you know, forty four was the first year where I actually had slight limitations with my hands falling asleep but okay. I was still able to maintain you know what I had the previous year and then this year is the first year I would say that I had to drop back from where that level was yeah the good news is I, I, I 100% know that I can recover from that like oh yeah it's just it's just a matter of you know not being an idiot and you know and it putting the time in, in september End of
1: October. End of October. Okay. Yeah. I was going to say, I can check
3: the text messages that we
1: yeah. had to figure out that. So it hasn't, uh, ultimately it hasn't been that long.
3: No, no. Feels which, like forever. Which is a good sign. You know, it feels like forever when the ice season didn't start till late. Yeah. But then here we are now, you know, you're only, what? I mean, really, because the ice season didn't start until like mid November, into November, really. So but I guess it's still, I mean, I guess it is recent. I mean, if you think about it, uh, for a tendon float around, but you know, it just never happens as soon as I want. And I've just never really had any real injuries. So I have nothing to gauge off of like, you know, other than, I mean, I had a blue and ACL, but it was just different. Like the mental piece behind a leg injury is different than an upper body, which has, I mean, yes, the legs have a lot to do with climbing, but yeah, upper body and, and arms and all that have a way more to do with the psychology that's going to be affected you know yeah plus plus the
1: injury itself now i'm going to kind of be facetious I'm like the knee's really far away <laughs> from my brain the <laughs> shoulders right here you know awfully like, close it's super glad cool. just like in very close relationship with yeah. this <laughs> I injury i thought about it that way but that was kind I, of true I, I mean maybe i don't know mm-hmm. i mean i've uh, got this ankle that's real far away from my brain, and it is um, in not good condition. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, it's it's strong. It's you know, there's been the last couple of years. It's it has quite strongly affected my uh, my psychological
3: condition for sure. Yeah, because you can't go out and go for a jog or anything, right? No, fuck yeah, no, fuck no. I mean, I you mean could he, you're gonna pay for it? Yeah. I mean, and then, you know,
1: I, I thought when I did the went up lone peak over at big sky, uh, you know, um, when Blair and a bunch of other people that I know did the the VK, um, last September, I thought I was, you know, maybe fucking on my ankle. And what actually happened is I, you know, stripped away the last cartilage, you know, between the head of my femur and the hip socket. Um, (laughs) ankle didn't feel that much worse after that day and I just couldn't walk because my hip was fucked up oh, <laughs> but now they've taken out the bad parts and put a new one in yeah you got a new one now. yeah it's good yeah which you know that's the quick fix you know that we're you know that we're looking for in some cases and it just happens to work really well with hips slightly less well with knees and even less well with ankles and that all has to do I mean the structure of the hip it's per- it's perfect for this type of um, artificial intervention, but it also has half the weight on it. Mm, yeah, that an ankle does. Yeah, because
3: there's not an artificial ankle. There, there is,
1: is and there? they and they don't work very good. Okay. I mean, they, they don't last. It's uh, just like it's a, a huge amount of stress. But if you think about knee replacements, you know, have a pretty good success rate, but they have even more. You know, they have more weight on them than the hip. Yeah, and the ankle would have kind of the most. Um, I was gonna try and wait for the technology on the ankle to improve, but um sounds like it just needs to become one piece. <laughs> mm.
2: <laughs> the
1: habit of that injury has for sure changed me so you know there's certain things, and like the uh when I went ice climbing in December of two thousand twenty I mean I was just like, man, I do not as supported as these you know boots make this ankle feel. It's like, I do not trust it. I do not trust it. I do not trust it. Hmm. There are certain positions that I couldn't put, that I wouldn't put it in ice climbing. And I'm like, is this distrust real? I mean, no, Uh, yes, it is. Um, But is this distrust based on actual physical, you know, is it going to just fold over?
3: Yeah.
1: And, and, and and maybe not,
3: Hmm.
1: but maybe I just have the habit of believing that it's that vulnerable. And so then, doesn't m- matter if the injury is real or not. I believe it's real. Yeah. I start behaving in a different way, and it be- then, and then it becomes so.
3: Yeah, especially one that's not going to get better.
1: And and will only get worse until they're like, oh, we'll just put yeah. four screws in it, and it won't move anymore, and you'll mm-hmm. adapt to that, and th- you know, or or whatever. But the, and that's what it's going to take for me to believe in it. In a way that I haven't for the last three or four yeah. years.
3: You're too far down that road mentally with it. Yeah, yeah. It'd be interesting. The, no way to know whether the mental,
1: how you, much that's factoring into how the, much to is the it, quote yeah. disability exactly you know, in a way. Yeah, and I would just hate to see you know the relatively fresh injury. Let's just you know with the the biceps uh, tendon, you know maybe um, maybe it hasn't. Maybe it's easier to correct the psychological relationship to it, yeah, because of its short duration.
3: Yeah, and it gets, and it but. keeps getting better. So I mean, that's the other thing too. Is like every I mean, it is every every time I go out, it is feeling better and better. Perfect. Um, you know, but it's you got to keep the mental piece to catch up with that, um, oh, yeah. to believe in it. Um, and that's I think that's the biggest hurdle that's there. But. I I think I I do like the idea of like trying to rebuild, you know, that mental bank of confidence and everything else, because I think that's where it's going to have to come from for me versus just throwing myself at stuff that I was always like, that was like the thing that I would gauge myself on or where I was at. Ah, How I feel on this particular route that I've done a bunch of times. Yeah. Yeah. Like I've sent this thing. It's no big deal. Yeah. But yeah. Throwing yourself at that thing isn't necessarily the going to build it up when you're, you're attaching yourself to something that was like, not necessarily the edge of your limit, but was the edge of your limit of comfortness where you knew you could send. And now you're doing it with less confidence uh, and, and an injury, which is an unknown factor of what it actually is costing other than the mental piece. Yeah. Um, you're kind of like damned just <laughs> as the day as soon as you step off the ground. You know, better to like log some, some easy stuff in and, and then build it up from there. Um, and maybe not so easy, but easy enough yeah. that you know that you can do it. Engaged. You know, and, and, yeah. And
1: th- that it feels a bit like a test, not, you know, not a hundred f- percent. Okay, I'm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. That, that'd be an interesting. Some interesting experiments for, you know, the next few weeks or you yeah. know, depending on conditions. and. Yeah. partner availability or you know whatever I
3: think but, what we're going to go Saturday is probably not within that realm but oh, cool um, <laughs> but it is pure ice so okay. and the pure ice is pretty much still my that's always my my jam so uh, that will that actually now that I think about that that actually could be good because I still feel quite confident on the ice mm. um, but
1: uh, it's just the upside down monkey boy stuff uh, yeah although yeah.
3: I will say like actually I you know I have been really quite confident in the ice but this just kind of goes into the whole lack of confidence thing. I freaking fell on Sat Sunday following easy. I popped off the ice first fall wow. on. I mean, I, yeah, I was, I was following thankfully. I just, I, I, I was like, I don't know what I was doing. I wasn't there mentally. I wasn't I was like, say not present. I wasn't present. <laughs> I wasn't like something was off that day. Yeah, and it was the first time I've fallen on top rope, if you will. I I don't even know how long on pure ice. Wow! But it was in some ways. After the fact, I was thankful because it was like, these are the reminders. Yep. That you need. Yeah. Check yourself every once in a while. You're not invincible. You know. And guess what? Ice is unexpected sometimes. Yeah. Um, and you know you got to be prepared for it. But yeah, just I was just I was complacent. I was just super yeah. complacent not really kind of going through the motions of, but it was a good reminder, you know? Man. And I feel like sometimes that stuff just sets you up for something. There's a lesson to be learned there. And I think for me, it was just the, I was, I was getting too complacent on ice Yeah, because that's definitely where my comfort is. You know, I've always been like that in the mixed world, like give me to the ice, give me to the ice. Got a little you knowledge. Know? It was there. like an era <laughs> comp. I would yeah. always be like, soon as I left the ice, I'm like, what? Right? Like, no, oh, hold on. No. <laughs> you know? Uh, You've made this
1: artificial hanging thing that I have to...
3: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was like the year that... It was like two years ago at the URA comp, and a lot of the competitors wanted the, the ice there was at 15, 20 feet at the bottom. They wanted it pre-clipped. And uh, Vince was like, this is... This is a mixed climbing competition. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it was, it was an interesting conversation, but, uh, yeah. wow. but for a lot of those people in that competitive world, they don't climb ice. Yeah. I mean, a lot of those top competitors that have never, never touched ice ever before. No so, kidding. It's a different sport.
1: So try tooling pure and simple.
3: Yep. And really, in order to be good at that now, and to be mm. competitive, I should say, you pretty much just have to train for that. That's the thing you have to, you do. gotta, yeah. you gotta train indoors. You gotta train on the, on the artificial holds. You, that's what you ha- That has to be your jam. Wow. You know?
0: Yeah. Yeah.
3: Cause otherwise outside is just not going to train you for that stuff. You know, you're not going to find little metal divot in some little tiny hold, you know, outside <laughs> <laughs> that you have to have a specific pick in order to stay on to stay on, you know, like that's just not, you know, not going to happen. Um, but that's kind of like that's just. I think that's the the change of where the sport is 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 definitely splitting a little bit. You've got okay really that competitive piece that's there, and it's becoming its own sport. I would yeah. say, I wouldn't say it's becoming; it is its own sport. It is for sure. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like it. The World Cup stuff is its own sport. Yep. Yeah. Wow.
1: Um, so you have uh, a new commercial association.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I'm uh now with Black Diamond. Uh super psyched on that. It's uh great to be partnered with uh a partner who, you know, really appreciates you and really wants to invest in you and your future and um yeah, they've been they've been absolutely awesome so far and I'm sure that will continue, but just
1: are we going to see a
3: visored helmet? Is my oh, question, man. We have to ask KP. <laughs> I mean, you know, there's a lot of people that want it. It's so good. It's just, and it looks way better, I think, but I know I, 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 like, I saw myself and some of the promo stuff cause I didn't have the helmet yet. And yeah. I was like, man, I like, I look freaking weird. Does everybody look this weird? Cause <laughs> I look really weird without a brimmed helmet. Um, that's like, you know, and I think a lot of people thought that I had, you know, sold out and I was like, no, 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 I was just, you know, I just had to get a new helmet made. And, like, yeah. Uh, and I mean I her. You know,
1: and all you gotta do you just gonna go like, hey, um there was a movie made. A lot <laughs> of it was shot on the north face of the Eiger. Uh they had cool helmets. They had
3: cool helmets.
1: And they look a lot like this helmet that I won, mm-hmm. the one that I've been using the last whole you know, number of years. Yep.
3: Yeah, and I mean that brim has for sure probably saved my life once. Okay. Uh I had a rock that annihilated the the brim. And if it had not been for the brim, it would have been more your, than like an eye face. socket. Yeah. Uh, and ultimately, it still ended up giving me 10 stitches across my chin. Okay. So it went through Whoa. that carbon fiber brim and then bounced off of my chin after it went through the carbon fiber. Um, but for sure, that would have been like that would have been a hospital visit. <sighs> and I've had a number of other situations. But yeah, I think uh, I'll have to talk those guys into that. So yeah. anybody listening wants that brim helmet... Is, <laughs> send is, a, note send to a note to, to BD uh, KP. <laughs> I think that's the guy we need to convince. You know, winter climbing. I mean, that's a, I mean, winter climbing helmet. We should. It's just yeah. I mean, why do we have to? Why do people we have to wear beanies under their helmets all the time? You know. Yeah. Exactly. That helmet's so much warmer. It, but it well, also looks cooler.
0: It's. So. It's pretty. It's pretty fucking cool. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah. I've taken some pretty big hits on that thing too. So. But, uh, and where,
1: uh, the, the original sort of I, mean, I know it was repurposed and it, and it appeared yeah. to be, you know, I mean, I just assumed that the previous commercial, uh, supporter, I'll just use supporter in air quotes because, <laughs> yeah. um, that's a story in and of itself. Yes. Um, <laughs> I, I just assumed that they had made it like to, to, for, for some reason. And then I saw a discussion or, you know, online somewhere, maybe, uh, about it And so Is it Something like a hardware store helmet it's...
3: No It is made by A company called Sweet Protection Out of Norway Okay it was a, It's a, originally made For a kayak For kayaking uh, it was a whitewater helmet
1: um, I mean Now Yeah Many things make sense All exactly. of a sudden Exactly yeah.
3: It all comes full circle Yeah Yeah I know uh, That previous company uh, Was quite upset That I would not wear Their helmet mm. And so it came to the terms of just send, send us the helmet and we'll brand it. And I was like, well, well sure, whatever. Cause I'm not going to not wear this helmet. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, so it's all come full circle again.
1: <laughs> I mean, it's pretty wild looking at, you know, just in terms of commercial relationships, it's pretty wild looking at the technology today. Like I, you know, I hadn't swung a tool in 10 years and then went for a day and you know, Scott loaned me some tools. I borrowed some, you know, crampons and some other I mean, actually, I borrowed a pair of saber-tooths, which were the same for the crampons I wore on the Slovak. I mean, they're. I mean, for years, those were the favorite things. But just looking at modern tools and especially modern ice screws.
3: I mean, the switch for me, I cut good. I mean, I feel like I cut a couple pounds in ice screws but I'm going to do aluminum screws. Yeah. Um, they're so nice, so light.
1: I mean, the funny thing is, like, Low Alpine made um, an aluminum screw back in the day. Oh, yeah. The rat screw. I mean, it had like a little ratchet thing. It was steel teeth on an oversized fat aluminum tube.
3: And it was aluminum, wasn't it? And it was aluminum.
1: And And the friction coefficient of aluminum was far greater than steel. And because they had enlarged the surface area to maximize this, you know, to try and get more strength out of the aluminum tube, they were almost impossible to put in. (laughs) Oh, wow. Because there's just too much surface area. Too much. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. There was a titanium one at one point too, right? uh, There were titanium snargs or titanium drive-ins.
3: That was a drive-in. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I have a couple of those, I think, still.
1: And there were titanium foot fangs, which were like steel front points, titanium rails. Um, The light fang had a year or two there where I um, Jeff Lowe took me under his wing a bit and I did a bunch of routes with him, so I, I was familiar with a bunch of these things and the original micro carabiners made by faders in Spain where <laughs> you're just like, well, you better take a lot of them cause you're going to be dropping them all, you know, like they're so small. Some of them you could just grab and like, just grab another one for the sound of that one, you know, <laughs> falling down the face comes to your ears. Uh, there, I mean, there was a lot of innovative stuff.
3: Yeah. I, I mean, I think um, tools are so, I mean, it seems like everybody's now coming up with a tool, a new tool every probably two, three years or whatever. But mm. they also seem to be getting better still. But I mean, some point there'll be a you know, there'll
1: be a plateau. There'll be a in plateau. That, there has to
3: be, that. you know. But they're all going. To, everybody's kind of going in, in different directions too. You know, whether it's a super light, or balanced, or you know, head weight, whatever it might be. Yeah. Um, and some of that I think, is going to be geared towards a specific type of climber. Like the beginner, sometimes a little head weight is good. Yeah. You know? Yep. Um, somebody that's climbed a lot, they don't need necessarily as much head weight. But, uh, man, they are, They. Are, I mean, I can tell you what, They. you don't bash your hands anymore. You I mean, think? I don't have swollen knuckles through the wintertime anymore. That's Some, real nice. <laughs> amazing. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I mean, I, there's sometime recently, I think maybe it was, uh, and somebody sent me a photo and I think it's uh it might have been taken below Post Creek. But it's Kurt and I sitting next to each other and I think there's like a old hummingbird hammer. Uh I had a pterodactyl that I climbed uh. with, a, with a lot, and super short pick, short shaft, knuckle, you know, <laughs> mayhem. Um and one other tool in the frame, which now I can't, I can't remember, but I, I was wearing like a wool
3: sweater or something. It's like, this is, <laughs> this is the early eighties for sure. <laughs> I wonder if that's where I got the, uh, wool. Cause when I was climbing in the late nineties, I was all, I was on a wool binge, wool gloves, wool sweater. It's... I would refuse to wear a jacket. Okay, and I didn't want to buy expensive gloves. I buy just some wool gloves at the gas station. Gas station, yeah, yeah. I tried to stick with that one for quite some time.
1: There's a there was a period. I mean, I like today on my little our little sledding adventure. Shall we? Shall we say like my second time driving a snowmobile? Uh, um, now I might have to buy one. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, if I if I
1: if I relocate to you know further north than where I yeah. uh, uh, currently live, I uh, might have to buy one. But um, but uh, virtually all the clothes you know, except b- apart from the puffy coat and everything, like uh, virtually everything I had on today was wool. Like I'm, you know, wool technology has well, it's certainly changed since the '80s. But I I I I've been trying to. I think I. That, uh, I don't know if wild things had start. It started importing those feeling sweaters um, from the Alps by 83 or not. Hmm. Um, but I, f- I think that's the sweater that was in that picture. Oh, really? No, no. Yeah. I somehow, somehow I think that, but it might've been a sweater from the North face ski line or something, you know, who fucking knows? <laughs> Cause, Cause there was a period there, like in the early eighties when the wool ski sweaters were, you know, they had,
3: like Pendleton. Padding
1: or... on them for bashing gates and oh, stuff. Oh, yeah. Did great, you have any Pendleton? Great, great for ice climbing. You had to have some Pendleton sweaters and stuff. Uh, not Obermeyer seemed as the brand, you know, ski, ski sweaters I remember. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, I'd, uh, like I always, Pendleton, I associated that more with a plaid shirt.
3: Yeah, they were plaid. Kind yeah. of thing. But they were kind of like the wool guys. From what I remember, like they were like, that was your high end wool.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Charlotte has a wool bed made by Pendleton. Wow. I mean, she's a bit spoiled in the bed department. Uh, Oh yeah. That hound dog, but. (laughs) Just a little.
3: (laughs) in her Pendleton bed. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, No, no. The things we do. Yeah, <laughs> things we do for the four-legged ones. Yeah, indeed. I think, uh, quite positive, my wife would do the same thing for a goose over here, so. Oh, yeah. She won't lay in the dog bed, though, so. She doesn't, uh, I mean, I
1: saw one downstairs,
3: but. She She's does. never laid in it. It's okay. for other people that come with their dogs. Okay, nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she runs hot, so she'll either be in the couch or she'll be on the on the On the, wood, on the, on on the, the floor, yeah. Yeah, she runs a little hot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, no wool for her.
1: Um, I feel like we've we've wound down a little bit. Yeah, a little bit.
3: Yeah, I don't know how long we've been going, but I uh, seems like a good amount of time there.
1: I I think if
3: um oh, yeah. you know
1: normally our little our little beep is around one hour forty five and we've gone an hour ten past that so we're close we're closing in on three hours.
3: Yeah, as I was gonna say, it's uh yeah to one a.m. Ooh. Okay, yeah. <laughs> let, let
1: us officially wind down. Which um, I'm really
3: surprised that it's 1 a.m. I don't know when we sat down, but I, I guess almost uh, three hours ago.
1: I, yeah, I don't know exactly when other than it was, it was time. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, I know, Blair asked me to for a, a couple of things, early, and it's so long, so many hours ago now. She was like, <laughs> no, but I want to ask him about... Uh, You've forgotten, so I yeah, yeah. <laughs> I I expect that because of the breadth of what we've talked about, that we probably touched on it. I hope. I don't know.
3: I don't know otherwise, about the. To we might have we've to revisit. Some, yeah, yeah, we've got some other places to probably go to at some point, I think. So, yeah. we've had some we've kind of touched the surface on some other subjects that'll probably be good to go down. I think so, but uh I think we kind of broke <sighs> broke through a little bit on this one. Yeah.
1: Well, it was going to happen earlier and then then it didn't cuz like yeah. Was in too much pain. To, like, like I'm not going down to cook if I can't walk. Fuck that. It's kind of key.
3: Yeah. Especially getting up here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, walk a little bit.
1: This is, uh, okay. One last thing. It's gotta be a fitness thing. And you know, cause we down in the, uh, the home gym, there is a ski erg. Um, what happens when you try to do a 2k ski erg for time at 8,500 feet? Ooh, it's quick
3: feeling of blackout <laughs> perfect <laughs> uh, yeah it feels like you know, you're you know like a oxygen deprivation
1: instantaneous almost i'm, I'm, I'm
3: yeah like sure. if you do yeah that 2k for time i feel like when i get down like it's yeah i feel I, you get that like as soon as you stop you get that moment of like i can't breathe Oh yeah, and actually, it's it's a little bit more than a moment. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, elevation ski erg is kind of sucks.
1: Would you be better off training your strength, the strength and power, doing the artificial training at a lower elevation, in your opinion? Like, do you do you feel like you're doing strength work up here? Um, that the. That the limits close in a little bit faster. Could could you be more effective at developing strength
3: with a little higher oxygen content? Yeah, that's a good thought. I I think it would be more confidence building at a lower elevation.
1: We assign yeah certain values uh-huh. to certain numbers, maybe arbitrarily. I mean, it's a it's a curious thing because like the the um you know Nordic skiers jumpers. You know, all, people who live in Park City. A lot of the times, when they have to do intensity training, they'll go down into the valley, hmm. and then go back and sleep up there. Oh, but I also yeah. have a bunch of friends who just live up there and train up there. So,
3: yeah, I would think that if you trained up there, I mean, I don't know enough about it, but like if you trained at the elevation,
1: you can't. The the, the power yields oh, lower, s- yeah. even if it's only it's seventy seven thousand feet, seventy two hundred feet, maybe. Um, it's it, it, you drop 3000 feet and things change completely uh huh. at, at a certain intensity i don't know what the you know the demarcation point there would be exactly but they wouldn't be you know descending to the intense, intensity training yeah, if you it, couldn't if it, go if, it be... didn't, if there was no either perceived or documented benefit yeah
3: <laughs> cuz the engine capacity is there yeah. But the oxygen capacity is not there. Yeah. Huh.
1: I mean if you just think about it like Roger Bannister, you know, used artificial oxygen to train prior to take, you know, breaking the four minute a mile.
3: Because
1: huh, it has improved his capacity for intensity. Huh. And there is some documentation of, you know, like, yeah, you hypersaturate, you get about a minute of incredible benefit from it. And then it goes on, goes away. Um, but I, I, I uh, and I don't remember exactly the mechanism that they, or the, uh, that that they used in order to be able to do that. But, you know, like um, training with, you know, hyperoxygenation oxygenation. Uh it's a thing and Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah. Huh. You can get an oxygen
3: generator up here, man. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that makes total sense though. I mean it's like an engine. I mean you cut yeah. the oxygen off to it as it's, it's I mean RPMs. I mean yeah, it just can't it doesn't have the same horsepower.
1: Yeah, does the does the eight hundred horsepower sled have eight hundred horsepower at nine thousand feet? Uh huh.
3: <laughs> nope. <laughs> nope. <laughs> nope. Yeah. Huh. Well, it's so the Now, now I keep
1: I've, you awake all night it, thinking about screw this. Screw it. <laughs> just
3: not even work out up here at all. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> I can't be at my best.
1: Diminishing returns. Yeah. Man. <laughs> yeah. It's just not worth it. It's just yeah. not
3: worth it. Yeah. If I can't cut the 10 seconds off my 2K PR, then it's just not worth it. Oh, man. If I just
1: I can't win the workout, uh, why yeah. am I even here? Mm-hmm. I
3: don't know what I've won one in a long time. So, <laughs> yeah. I feel like they've been. Kicking my ass for a while, uh, but it feels good. Good, it's an addictive relationship. Oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah.
1: Um, thank you for sitting down, um, for some damn good ribeyes <laughs> <laughs> and you know, hosting me here at the end of the road. Yeah, man, this is really beautiful.
3: Thanks for uh, finally coming and uh, super psyched to uh, share it with you, yeah, and to uh get out and burn some two-stroke with you. That was good too.
1: <laughs> it, was, it was really good to get out and breathe some two-stroke yeah. riding behind you. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of figured like that's just a, like that's just the the entry fee for I, riding around. Yeah. But the accessibility, I mean, the access to certain ski touring zones, with the sled,
3: man. Hard to look away from. It's
1: uh, First, and apparently, as they say, First one, first taste is free.
3: Uh, yep, yep, <laughs> yep, <laughs> big time. Yeah, yeah, and it's endless up here. So, man, yeah, yeah. It's just a matter of what you got the time and effort to put in.
1: Yeah. Well, once uh, I, you know, overcome the the psychological injury to my ankle, <laughs> uh, I, I would, I had, you know, the the, the one, there are the two days in. December of two thousand twenty, that I went out and actually swung tools and climbed ice. It's like, man, if well, the day that I went in highlight, I was pretty bummed out because there was four hundred ninety eight other people out there. <laughs> but um, but the movement itself and the feeling of it was was pretty cool, and it'd be it'd be uh, really something to do it uh, in some of these more remote places.
3: Yeah, yeah, and. Up here in the snow is kinda nice. A little a little easier on the old joints. Yeah. The snow. That's yeah. true. So
1: instead of hiking on the frozen kitty litter. Yeah.
3: yeah. And the rock Good point. and everything else and yeah. the steep downhills. We'll just do some snow Yeah.
1: Snow approaches.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And some short ones up here too. So I think maybe that'll have to be your second uh dip back in. Okay. Yeah.
1: I like I like Hopefully not that. literal dip. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but ah.
3: We'll try. <laughs>
1: <laughs> all right let's uh um, right. let's do like goose and uh like pass out yeah. i guess Just
3: go full side fuck it's what we call that exactly <laughs> <laughs>